Oddities, late night movies with Rob and Zach. This is a podcast about cinematic oddities where we discuss any media that is too bizarre, abnormal, or off-kilter for contemporary audiences. Occasionally, these projects gel. Most times they crash hard into the realm of obscurity. Join us as we delve into the cult classic swamp. I'm Zach. And I go out. I work my butt off to make a living. All I want is to come home to a nice clean house with a nice fat steak on the table. But instead I get this. It looks like poison. Don't you take that away. I'm eating that, damn it. It is poison, isn't it? I swear to God I would not be surprised if it was. The way you skulk around here like a dog that's been hit too much or ain't been hit enough. I can't make up my mind. You're useless, Beatrice. The only thing that pulls its weight around here is my goddamn truck. Uh, break for applause. Thank you. <laughs> but, oh man. Oh, geez, Zach. This is this is a doozy. I have to say, we are still in our time travel series. Uh, I think that's uh, exactly why we we pitched or you know talked about Men in Black three. But Zach had the fantastic idea to pair it up with the original Men in Black. And Zach, thank you for convincing me of this because I was thinking about separating all three. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to watch one of the greatest Vincent D'Onofrio performances of all time, I believe. <laughs> it's possibly one of the most interesting makeup jobs in blockbuster cinema. Oh, my interesting makeup job, interesting physical performance, the way that he moves, and just, I, I mean, no no surprise here. Maybe, I don't know if anybody's you know, would think I don't like this movie. I love the Men in Black series. I'm sure we'll talk more about that with context. I've watched this movie, the, the first one, since I was a kid. So many of D'Onofrio's lines have stuck with me, you know, even before I remembered or knew it was Vincent D'Onofrio, like before my criminal intent, you know, law and order phase and stuff like that. But just everything, everything. The, um... Okay. Yes, good. Thank you. Thank you for making sure the bell works. What's up, Farmer John? Oh, a man came in here earlier. A dead man. And that means what to me? He was a very dear friend of mine. I believe he had an animal with him. It was a gift I gave him. A pet cat. It means worlds to me. I'd like to have it back. A gift I gave him of many years ago. A pet cat, you know? And then and then at the end, he's like, I put my hands on my head like this. Oh, Jesus Christ, Zach, it's so good. <laughs> oh, you idiot! You don't get it! I've won! It's over! You're a milk sucker! You don't matter! In fact, in a few seconds, you won't even be mad. You're under arrest for violating sections 4153 of the Tyco Treaty. So hand over whatever galaxy you might be carrying and step away from your busted-ass vehicle and put your hands on your head. I'll put my hands on my head. Like this? And to think that he's so reserved as uh, Bobby Gorin in Criminal Intent, and here he is spazzing out to the maximum. <laughs> That's the, like, Vincent D'Onofrio is such, like, truly one of the, again, unique is thrown around, but, like, he's done everything. Yes, like he's done yes. like he's done high art, he's done commercial, he's done schlock. 
like versatile, like and to the point where like you almost wonder because like the, the most ho- high profile thing he's done as of late is the goddamn Marvel TV show. Yeah, yeah, which and is like a more watered down performance than the one he gave like what five years ago when he originally did that. Sure, yeah, I haven't seen it in the what is it Hawkeye he's in yeah. from what I remember. I did see the um as Ben and I have talked about on here the Daredevil show, and he's the best part about it, of course. Well, I, I think because I'm biased towards Vincent D- D- D'Onofrio, but he he is a good character in that show, and so I mean. I love me some D'Onofrio. We'll talk about him as the bug. I mean, it's it's stuck with me for so long. Uh, a pet cat. Uh, but also, I mean, I, let, let me just say, always great to see Carol Stryken in anything, right? The the fireman himself. <laughs> well, I, I forgot that he was in this because I saw him. And I'm like, of course. I, again, okay, yes, it was good to see him, but – the movie needed more of him, sure, not specifically sure. him, but actors like him. Yes, definitely. The ones that look – the humans that look like they could be aliens. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean I, it was a Barry Sonnenfeld. We're here again, everybody. Barry Sonnenfeld after Wild Wild West. Um, we got one movie – Pre-Wild Wild West, post-Wild Wild West. Um, and, uh, you know, I think this was definitely him saying, because he's Lurch in the Adam Family movies, so I think this was definitely him saying, oh, you know, get thrown in. But I, I totally know what you're saying. Like, get more of these people who just, like, you know, you look at them and you, they're just visually interesting. <laughs> exactly. Visually interesting probably being the best way to describe it. Yes, the most politically correct way, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> even though even though Carol Strykett is a very, I think he's, you know, a very good-looking person. You know, he's not like the bearded lady or anything. He's just very tall and very bony. <laughs> Well, he's different. It's funny because like the whole time, because I I don't I all, when I see him I think of the fireman. That's just why I call him. Sure. And I kept as I was watching this, I'm like, is that Michael Berryman? Like I just kept <laughs> thinking of that, and I'm like, no, different, weird looking bald gentleman. Like that's. <laughs> I like that. I like that. <laughs> Michael oh, Berryman, right Carol Striking too. Like it's like the equal signs, just perfectly in the middle there. Yes. In my brain. Yes. I mean, also we have to mention while we're on the topic of cast, uh, always great to get a rip torn joint in here. We love us some rip torn. Some minor things I didn't remember the uh, the truck driver at the very in the cold open of the movie. Or maybe not cold open, but you know after uh, in the first scene. The uh, truck driver is Jonathan Grease, uh, Uncle Rico from Napoleon Dynamite, and Ben Linus' dad from Lost. He just has, what, three lines of dialogue or something like that. I was kind of—I haven't seen this movie in quite some time, but I remembered so much of it because I feel like I quote it all the time. A pet cat! But, you know, this was great to see all these people. I'm so glad we got to revisit it. And also, I am glad I got to rewatch um, Men in Black 3, which I think I've only seen, like, twice before this, compared to, like, the hundreds of times I watched Men in Black when I was a kid. <laughs> Well, I have to ask, like, was a Men Black like an HBO staple for you, or was this something you would just stumble upon, so, like regularly? I'm glad I'm glad you asked because this was not an HBO one. This was actually a VHS that I would watch at my grandmother's house. So back when my mom's parents were still alive, and you know, I think I've Amazon talked about women on the moon. Exactly, yes, for my grandfather. You know, back in the day when every weekend, you know, I'd go down with my mom and and you know help out with uh, with her parents, my grandparents. Um, it would we'd always go down real early, uh, and then you know I'd always kind of you know, while they were doing whatever, my grandmother had like a wall of VHSs. And there's a lot of movies from my childhood that were just, you know, like I would, I would just pick a movie and watch it. I mean, I think I've mentioned it. That's how I found out about Mouse Hunt. Mouse Hunt's a great movie, but they had that on VHS. Um, You know, Batman, the animated series, they had all that on VHS. Jumanji, like kind of all those classics that I feel like a lot of people have in our age bracket, like Home Alone, Mrs. Doubtfire, you know, all of those. Men in Black was one of them. And 
for some reason, I fell in love with it. You know, I don't know if my mom or my grandma was like, oh, watch this one, or I picked it, but I fell in love with it. So much so, and yes, I know, Zach, this isn't the point of this conversation, but, you know, we'll, we'll get into the, it'll, it'll bleed in a little bit, that when Men in Black 2 came out, we saw it in theaters, me, my mother, and my grandmother. <laughs> so, so yeah, I have a, a deep, deep love for Men in Black, and I'd say I love the whole trilogy, and I know we're not talking about 2 yet, but 2 is fucking crazy, and I love it, and I just have to mention... Lara Flynn Boyle in that movie was very formative for me as a 10-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> okay, can we talk? Oh, no, we're not. No, okay, we can't. I, we can't. Yes, I do. I also want to point out for all of the people listening to this, you've seen the title of this episode. You are not mistaken. It does say Men in Black and Men in Black 3. We are holding off on two, but we will get to it, everybody. Don't worry. <laughs> That's the thing. I really, because again, we were great. Like, spoiler alert, we will get Men in, Men in Black 2 for the 2002 Fort Month. Um, that will be coming sooner rather than later. Um, <laughs> but yeah, my history with Men in Black really like, okay, these. it's almost I can boil it down to like maybe three talking points, like almost okay. like much like Rob's grandmother, my father had like, okay, beyond his dozens of, oh God, hundreds of movies that he recorded off of HBO in the late eighties. He had like four store-bought movies that like people bought for him. He never bought them for themselves. It was like Jurassic Park, Tin Cup, the Ooh, Rene Russo movie. Interesting. And one of them was Men in Black. Ah. But like, for the longest time, I used to have Men in Black on VHS, Men in Black 2 on DVD, and Men in Black 3 on Blu-ray. It was one of those weird instances where, like, with every movie's release, I graduated to the next form of, like, home video collecting. <laughs> yep. And so, basically, like, I have no idea. Like, I saw Men in Black 2 in theaters as well, and my biggest takeaway was the Terminator 3 teaser trailer played in front of it, which I'm pretty sure we talked yes. about, like, how many years ago? This is coming back to me now. This uh, this is ringing a bell, yep. <laughs> so, no, like, like, and that's the thing. So, like, I remember for the longest time, even back, it was, like, Greg's previews on Yahoo. Like, Men in Black 3 was one of those movies that was, like, always on there. Is that, like, oh, it was, like, up there with Jurassic Park 4. And that, like, are, are we going to get another one? Mm -hmm. And, like, you would follow the headlines and you would see stuff like, oh, it's on. Oh, it's off. Like, oh, well, Will Smith is doing this, this, and this now. Like, nobody knows if this is his priority, like, at, at the current time. So I really, like, I, I, I stopped caring because it really was, like, like, Will Smith at that point, like, I really did not like Will Smith as an actor. I still kind of don't. Okay. Because, um, like, at this time, like, in the late, what, 2000s, early 2010s, oh, God, not even. He didn't even really have an acting career in the early 2010s. He was essentially Jaden and Willow's manager. Yeah, yeah. And, and so, like, what, was seven pounds? Yeah, or, isn't like, there – I think there's a break. It's seven pounds and then four years until uh, Men in Black 3, if yes, I remember correctly. Yeah. Yes, the Bastion of Truth IMDb corroborates it. Um, <laughs> that's literally a trivia fact for this movie on IMDb. It's that, like, there was a four-year gap. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's not trivia. That's like, a, like, that's like, a, that's like doing math. Like it's not <laughs> exactly. trivia. Um, yeah, we don't need to look to the bastion of the bastion of truth IMDb trivia. We could look at a calendar. <laughs> exactly. So no. So like, I remember when this movie like came out in 2012, Men in Black Three. Mm. I, I, I when I, I'm sorry, not when it came out, but like in the lead up to it, the main memory, main I don't even want to say memory, just the main thing that I kind of came 
of that time period was the fact that like this movie shut down production for like three months. They could rewrite the script. Yes. Um, probably one of the earliest like really examples of that hitting like mainstream circles. And then so when the movie eventually came out, it was kind of like I, I it was also in the summer of 2012. So it kind of got like caught up in like the nonsense of Avengers, mm. Dark Knight, Spider-Man in my case prometheus <laughs> sure. and so i i got it for like i think christmas that year on blu-ray i watched it once and i was just like this is this is bad like i did not like it okay. at all and so i have not rewatched it except for today's recording where i had to sit there obviously had to revisit it and did you love it I love the la- the second half of it. The first third is an abject nightmare. Um, okay. It's almost as if like, like imagine if you took the latter canon of American Pie movies and it made a movie. <laughs> okay, okay, right on. Like I, I, there was a very specific point in this movie where I and Men in Black Three where I was so angry I wanted to turn it off. Ooh, okay, I can't wait to hear about it. Right on, right on. Um, so uh, how many times, I think you might have been getting at this, but just to clarify, so for, for the original Men in Black, was that a big, like, staple of your childhood? I know you said you kind of forgot about it after a while, but was that something um, you rewatched a bunch? No, okay. no, cause it was on VHS. Like, I, I yeah. honestly, I don't think I got, like, a decent copy of that until, like, the Blu-ray, like, maybe, like, a year ago. Um, I think there was, like a, like, a Black Friday sale, and, like, it was, like, the Men in Black trilogy for, like, six dollars sure um yeah yeah, and like no i I would say i had more appreciation of men in black is just like this weird thing that would show up like in movie production like gossip Mm -hmm. and that like probably the most my most interesting facet to me of men in black is the fact they want to do a crossover with channing tatum and jonah hill yes Um, yes one of the fantastic reveals from the uh sony um email hacks that that was later confirmed yeah (laughs) and to me that will always be like kind of the most interesting thing that comes of the men in black franchise is that like what could have been yes um for some such a fantastic concept they've really never been in, been ambitious with it sure sure I, I see what you're saying okay but no the first man in black was something that like i was always aware of it um i just again i was never a will smith kid like I, everybody used to just kind of like swoon over him even in elementary school like reruns of the fresh prince and i'm like i don't i don't like will smith as an actor i really don't like he has his moments um but like it, by the time that I kind of became – I grasped him as, like, an actor, he was smarmy, mm. like Hancock. Sure. Like, Hancock is just – I've never seen that movie. All I know is the preview where it's just – it's a homeless person, a Superman. <laughs> I'm like, that's not interesting. And, yet, like, it made, like, a billion dollars – I think almost, like, a billion dollars before that, like, was became a regular thing. Um, it was that point where, like, Will Smith was annoying. It's like, go away. Like, no, go away. Sure. And I really only ever knew him from Men in Black 2. In Wild Wild West, of course, because yes. Wild Wild West is the greatest film to ever be made by human beings. Yeah, I was trying to remember how much we got into Will Smith in the Wild Wild West episode. I think we we might have said some of our thoughts on him, because I'm with you, Zach. If I, if I didn't say it there, I'll say it here. I'm also not the biggest fan of his. Um, I actually kind of think it takes until three for him to feel good in the role of Jay, uh, or at least for me. Um, you know, he's kind of a little clunky in the first one, which I'm sure we'll get into. But I remember in the Wild Wild West episode, we talked more about how him and his, his relationship with his kids is really weird. <laughs> Well, that's the thing. Like we talk, like we spent a lot of time in that Wild Wild West discussion, breaking it down, being like, this was somebody that, like, at the mid '90s, was at the height of their power, like could, could move mountains. Yep. And yep. he really, 
again, like he didn't he didn't try to do anything really to oh god like he did everything was was vanity with will smith Mm -hmm. it was always about growing his career or growing his just footprint sure and he didn't and to this day that's what he's still doing he's just he's realizing how to pick and choose his battles better um and that's why i've always found him kind of unlikable i think i remember even once like rob and i were in high school were talking about him like on the ellen show and rob was just like yeah he's kind of depressing like he's just kind of like rambling on i'm like it was like what like it's those weird memories that i don't know why just like it came back to me like just thinking about these movies um but no like will smith again like he's charming in certain specific moments mm-hmm. but then you have to realize that like that's all an act Oh, the, yeah, the charming yeah. thing is an act. It's not it, – it might be real in certain moments, but then you have to realize that, like, he's realized this is his cachet, so he's got to play it constantly. Exactly, exactly, yeah. And I think even when he tries to branch into the um, dramatic stuff, I don't think that really clicks either. And, um, I mean, that seems to be what he's still kind of doing these days. I mean, what, King Richard, um, the Serena and Venus Williams movie, you know, I, I didn't see that or anything, but – the trailers were focused on him and him being, you know, that that dad. And from the research I did when that movie's coming out, he's not the the best figure. And it seems like they're charming him up a little bit. But I, I think you're saying exactly what they're you're, this is getting at is that it's, you know, he has to be charming. He has to be likable. Well, yeah. And that's why, like, you again, you can, if you look at his career in the 90s, you get why he became a superstar. Um, the thing is, is that, like... Anybody who would have watched all how many seasons of Fresh Prince mm-hmm. should have realized, like, it's one note. Like, it's, it's the Ryan Reynolds thing now. Like, where it's like everybody still swoons over Ryan Reynolds, but, like, he has one shtick and he plays it for everything. Yes. yes. Whether it be Deadpool, Green Lantern, Pikachu, Free Guy. Like, it's the, it's the, it, not smarmy, but just, like, wise ass. Absolutely. Um, a charming, attractive, wise ass. And it's like, we've seen this before. Like, it's so tired. And that's why even in Men in Black 3, like, again, from my – Rob will talk about Men in Black 2. I specifically did not yes. rewatch that. I did not touch that. So I'm going to not reference that at all. But in the third one, like, there's not – like, he's just phoning that in. Um like I, I really like like watching Men in Black Three. I don't know why they even made that movie. Like I, okay. um, except for the fact that I obviously it was a Sony decision. Yeah. Um, I don't know why that film exists. I think it's a film that almost finds a purpose beyond what the studio like scope was. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I don't. I mean, Men in Black to me is. I think like I was saying, like because I I love all these movies. That's it's probably part nostalgia, part of, part other thing. I don't think I hold it in high regard. You know, as like as we talked about when we discussed all the Matrix movies, where they're like my religious texts. You know, but um, that's something I never looked into, which I I'm sure you uh, I wanted to pick your brain on. You have more knowledge of is like is exactly what you're saying. It's like why make Men in Black three? Because it is also kind of weird that. It's uh, Men in Black 1 to Men in Black 2 is five years, and then Men in Black 2 to Men in Black 3 is ten years. Like, they're almost, like, very spaced apart in this very arithmetic way. (laughs) Well, yeah, well, it's because nobody wanted to do it. Like, the second one, like, comes out, like, I I think everybody at the time looked at it. It's like, okay, we we got away with it. Mm -hmm. And plus, at that time, too, Will Smith didn't, again, he didn't want to do things like that. Like, he has Bad Boys 2. He becomes embarrassed. Like, he, he becomes weirdly embarrassed of that franchise for the longest time. Um, and then he has what I robot and shark tail. And that's when he started to become like, just 
oh god, like may like a different shade of the big like like studio person, like studio actor, like almost like he almost graduated to a new phase of his career that like Tom Cruise never did. Like almost became like a joke, like a parody of himself. Sure, sure. In that sense, we're like it's like imagine those Tropic Thunder fake promos where what was it? Robert Downey Jr. and Tobey Maguire. It's like the Silent Monks. It's like yes, he, he yeah, became I think it's called so- Satan's Alley. <laughs> that's what yeah. they're called. <laughs> <laughs> but like that's what kind of it became. Like he became kind of so like self revering, and, and that's what happened to him. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh God. Now I'm trying. I think it's Satan's Alley. What is it? The the farts or whatever is the Jack Black one, and then booty sweat from Alpa Chino, <laughs> Tropic Thunder. But no, I totally get what you're saying, and maybe maybe to use this because I I, I kind of knew we were coming in here with um that that we are not the biggest Will Smith fans. I'm glad you bring up Bad Boys because I I can't, I don't really like either of the first two Bad Boys. I never saw the third one. Maybe as a transition. What do you think, though, about the chemistry between Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones, which is kind of what these movies lean on in all three of them? You know, of course, in that first act, I, I think you said it about the first act of um, Men in Black 3, where you have Tommy Lee Jones before Brolin comes in. But what do you just think about their chemistry in general in the first one, where they're really, really, you know, using that as, I would say, kind of the backbone of the movie? Um, It's one of those things where I you can't deny that people enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, well... I don't know. Like it's Tommy Lee Jones is playing it so so straight, um, and and Will Smith is just like bouncing off the walls. Yes, yes. And there's a point where he literally causes something to bounce off the walls. Well, yeah, and like so no, like the, the whole Men in Black franchise, Sands Number Two and International, which Rob probably won't even let me mention. I don't even know which, what you're talking I've never about. S- what is exactly. that? I've yeah. never seen it, so I don't know what that is. To be, is that to like be fair, I, I treat Men in Black International like how a lot of people treat the Indiana Jones trilogy, and they ignore the existence of Crystal Skull. I ignore <laughs> the existence of International, um, partly not by choice, because I have seen it, and I remember so little about it. It is vacuous. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, but that's the thing, though, is that I, I think this entire franchise has a fantastic premise, and then, like, you just realize it's, like, boxed into this weird corner where everything has to revolve around aliens. Mm-hmm. Everything mm-hmm. is about an extraterrestrial, oh, God, uh, cataclysmic event that's yep. going to wipe out the Earth. And it's just, that, like, like the Men in Black did, like, I know, like, Men in Black's based on, like, obviously the movies, like, like a comic book thing. Yeah. But, like, at the same time, though, is it, like, it, we talked about it years ago. I think it was with, what, Zenger? Like, he explained to us, like, the whole history of, like, the Men in Black. There's so much lore, like, attached to them as these weird, like, mythical entities. Yep, yep. And it's like, this is what it is? It's just, like, intergalactic customs? Like, like that in, like, intergalactic TSA? I'm like, this is so, <laughs> like, I'm not gonna lie, like, I was bored for almost both of these movies. Um, except for maybe the last 45 minutes. I'd say... Oh god! Probably the last forty-five minutes of three. Outside of that last forty-five minutes, I was at best bored, and at worst, just like angry at the movie. Okay, okay. I can't wait to hear about the moments you were angry. Um, but this is—I like this. I like these episodes where we're coming at it from grossly different perspectives because, man, these movies flew by for me. I. I had so much fun rewatching these, and I did them. I did all three in like two days. <laughs> 
Isn't the second movie like like sixty eight minutes long? Like, isn't that second movie like barely? <laughs> no, it's, like it's an the hour? same length as the first one. It's ninety minutes. The third is one, it? yeah, it is. It is. Are you sure? Definitely. <laughs> I feel this is like another Venom where like the credits are like fifteen minutes long for like I, an eighty five minute long movie. I did not look at the credits, so you might be correct there. Um, but but uh, it is it is definitely not a, a, a significantly shorter. Um, but. But I mean, that was another thing that I've kind of found refreshing is that the first one's ninety minutes, and it's a it's a tight ninety minutes. I I I felt the length of that. Version. Oh man. that first movie, like I'm sitting there, and like again, I get it, it was ninety cinema. It's meant to be like kind of cute and quaint, but like this is post again. This is Will Smith immediately following up Independence Day. Yes, welcome to Earth. Yes, <laughs> yes, and and so like I like this was always going to be primed for success. But, like, again, like, looking at it now, I just couldn't just, like, again, like, Vincent D'Onofrio is a lot of fun. Like, his ma- – again, I have to say, like, Rick Baker, his makeup, like, that is the true standout of these movies. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but I also – like, it, but it's also thing, like, a lot of stuff that was cute in these movies, again, more the first one, like Frank the Pug, the the Worms – um, I feel like the culture just like ran into the ground. Mm, okay, I I know what you're saying. Just think about it. Like Frank the Talking Pug, it's its own like subcategory on TikTok now. <laughs> okay, I I totally know what you mean. I did not expect you to go there, but I totally know what you mean. <laughs> and that's where like again, I don't know how again. Like I did not enjoy the first movie. Like I was like even the very beginning. Wow, okay, where like okay. they're pulling over. Like even like the beginning. We're like oh, they're pulling over like the the truck of migrants. Mm-hmm. And you have this entire thing, and they shoot the alien, like the, the it just explodes, and I'm just like, and he's like going through the entire thing, and I'm just like, this is boring, like it's just like what is like if I was watching this in 1997, yes, I would be so confused and bored. I'd just be like, what just happened? Like think about it. like we we take so much of like the oh god, a cryptozoological stuff again, going back to Zenger and all that, like for granted now, like intrinsic into like the culture we live in. And it's like at the time, like what like, – I bet if you ask my father – my mother and father knew what Men in Black was back in like the early 2000s. If you were to sit there and tell them about the, the – the whatchamacallit, like people that went around and like covered up all these weird supernatural things, yep. they wouldn't know. Like, like they would think <laughs> it's a Will Smith movie with Tommy Lee Jones. Sure, sure. So so I think what you're saying is kind of like um like what – uh, Chris Columbus's Gremlins did like nobody thinks Gremlins are the the things that you know damaged World War One planes yes. and stuff like that. They now see weird, them like, as quirks and machinery. Exactly. Now they see them as the Mogwais and the Gremlins that you know they have to they torture Gizmo for some reason and Gizmo's the cute one and we like him. I so you're saying like, like Men in Black has done that for the the mythos the the American well, mythos even... of Men in Black has been replaced by the movie. No, no. Well, yes, but at the, no, I wouldn't even. You know what is? It's it's almost the opposite. I would – because it's funny because like in preparation for this, I do the thing I normally do because I was really curious to see what the consensus was on Men in Black 3 um, since it being released almost 10 years ago. And when I typed in Men in Black 3, like A, on YouTube, there are practically like no retrospectives. Like nobody is analyzing the third movie. Nobody. Um, Which means nobody cares. And in two, you type Men in Black 3 into like podcast like aggregators and guess what? Like, it's all about the cryptozoological supernatural stuff. Oh, okay. okay. Um, it's almost all about that. And I'm like, I had to, like, type in Men in Black with, like, 2012, and then I got some movie reviews. Mm-hmm. Um, I No, it's the, it's the opposite of that. Whereas, like, in 1997, like, 
I think people just went to see this because it had Will Smith's name on it. I, I think it yeah. didn't matter. I could totally I believe that at the time for sure. Um, I th- and I think that's why like you look at this. Like, this is such a non-starter of a franchise because I don't think anybody went to this movie in 1997 because the premise was novel. I think they sure. went for something that doesn't really exist anymore, star power. And I think, ha ha ha, Will Smith made a funny is just kind of like sugarcoated it. And I think yeah. that's what it was. Like there was just enough comedy that people just excused it not being a particularly good movie. Okay. And I think that's okay. why every one of these movies has been unsuccessful. Every every sequel has been unsuccessful to some degree. Sure, sure. Yeah, that that's something I didn't um just from like I've already explained my history with it, but just from like the people I hang around with and the people that I talk to, you know, I I have gotten the sense that Men in Black is well loved, but I think it's because of, you know, just the right place, right time. Like I, the people I, I talk will, to and I will say there is – I would say Men in Black is in that same weird sort of umbrella term of the Blade Runner effect. I think a lot of people watch that movie as a kid mm. and they cannot remove the nostalgia from it. I think it's one of those ones where I think if you were to show somebody Men in Black like, – okay, my own thing. Rachel and I watched this. I'm rewatching it. She watched it for the first time and she fell asleep during it. Like, I mean, and and she's not one of those. She does not fall asleep during movies easily. And she just, like, nope. Because nothing happens. Like, name, like, beyond the ending where they're shooting the the World's Fair starship out of the sky, is there anything exciting? I mean, like, exciting, thrilling in this movie? Objectively, from, like, a a blockbuster perspective. Like, Will Smith getting shot out of the sky by an alien craft, and then, like, he tries to get into the cockpit to see what it looks like, and it starts attacking him. He punches and goes, welcome to Earth. Sure. There is not a single moment in this movie that has anything even comparable to that, like, in a – I don't want to say adrenaline, but just in a a manner that gets a rise out of an audience. There's – it's just – it's just – oh, God. Tommy Lee Jones makes a – Oh God! We don't want to say it. Just like a very stoic remark, Will Smith makes a snide remark back. Mm-hmm. It's just that ad nauseum with some really good visual, like 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 makeup. Sure. No, I I get what you're saying, and I and I think you hit the nail on the head of the way that I was uh, the the thing that I was really trying to parse through because when I when I rewatched the first one, so just talking about the first one right now, of course that's where I started. I didn't do any crazy, you know, out of order viewing or anything like that. When I, when I watched the first one, I, that's at the end of it, I was kind of like, that's the thing. Is this just a huge nostalgia bug for me? Which, there's a part of it. I, I'm not denying that that's a part of my love for this movie. But I, I love this movie so much, uh, even on rewatch, you know, that I was like, is this a big nostalgia bug? Because honestly, when I finished the first one, Zach, I was like... This is a perfect movie to me. And I get what you're saying, that there's nothing really, like, super exciting. I mean, there's set pieces. Like, you think of um, Will Smith with the uh, giving birth to the squid baby. You know, that's a scene. You have the whole thing with, um, you know, Linda Fiorentino and uh, finding the, the little alien in the head or the Archillian, you know, in the head of the guy. Um, Gentle Rosenberg, I think, is the character's name or whatever. Um, you're right that there's nothing really thrilling, but for some reason for me it clicks so well. But that, that's what I'm saying is I don't know how to separate something like the nostalgia like it's comfort I, food it's I, comfort absolutely food. I, I mean don't get me wrong it absolutely is comfort food i don't think this is like one of my favorite movies ever like i don't think this is something i can dissect like i would you know with a, with a deeper meaning in some of the movies i absolutely love i think it is a very you know popcorn-esque type movie but i mean 
I I find it very funny. I I like a lot of the moments. I think a lot of it really works for me and clicks for me. And it really is like, you know, it's it's very simple. Maybe that's the best way to put it. Bug comes to Earth. Will Smith gets involved with this. They got to stop the bug. They got to get the galaxy. Tiny little mystery to unravel. You know, very, very tiny mystery to unravel. And then kind of big action scene at the end. So I'm with you that it is it is kind of, you know, uh, I don't think vacuous is the right word. I think, you know, it, it's very popcornish, maybe to use that term. It's superficial. Again. It's Super, very yeah, it, superficial for sure. And I, I, I fucking love it. <laughs> that's fine. Like I said, I don't want, like, this is not one of those times where, like, I'm going to sit there, tell anybody they're wrong for enjoying this. It's just, again, it's the, like, the thing that frustrates me about the culture we live in. And it's not that anybody's really praising Ben in Black hard. It's mm. just that, like, this movie is only I, again i swear to god it's like blade runner if you were to sit there take one of these people like who loves these movies ludovico technique them and say explain to me why it's good and you can't yes. say because i like you can't say that yeah. explain yeah. to me why this is objectively good i think that hits the and, nail on the head for me is that i really can't answer those questions i can just say that it is it is fundamentally enjoyable but i think but again i think the evidence i'm pointing at is that like the fact that none of these sequels has ever resonated yes sure and like sure. i think goes to show that like the first movie was a fluke, and I think a lot of people – I guess it has just enough cutesy stuff in it that like – and then even to – even like on storytelling terms, like on a narrative level, like things just don't make sense. Because like in the – think about it, In the first moments of the film, we have Tommy Lee Jones just pulls out a gun and just shoots an alien, mm-hmm. and it's like, OK, we're going to neuralize like all the cops – Okay, like like we've established the rules that these people basically can erase minds, they can kind of do whatever they want, and they have a very easy means of just kind of covering their tracks. And then like we have the moment where obviously Will Smith like has his little like pea shooter and he like he's trying to shoot the truck and, and like Kay's like, you can't do this, like blah, blah, blah. and he's like, Kay, this is the end of the world. We have to do this. And Tommy Lee Jones is like, that's every day. Get used to it, kid. Yeah, yeah. And there's like, always an Archillian un- battleship, or there's always a, a Cerulean yeah. cruiser. Yes, yes. And it's like you completely undermine the stakes at hand here. Completely under. So I'm like, why should I care? I'm, I'm, glad I'm like, you, basically- I'm glad you bring that up. That it makes no sense narratively, and and there's a lot of holes and stuff in here. Wait till you rewatch the second one, I Zach. I, think I don't that's know. Why I, I like oh, it the most. No, no, no. Second, <laughs> second one, second one's insanity. I do want. No, I just look up the runtime. The first movie's 98 minutes long. The second one is 88 minutes. Okay, okay. and I'm pretty sure it's 10 minutes of credits because it plays <laughs> the Will Smith song on loop like five times. Like I am, because again, I have watched that second movie within the last five years. And I'm pretty sure that movie, like, like as in, like, the story, clocks out at, like, 74 minutes, sure. like, maybe 76, like, absolute, like, longest. Like, that is is a brief in-and-out movie. That second movie. Like, brief. Maybe that's why I like the second yeah, one. Yeah, that's probably most. another reason so I like it, too. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Um, but no, I mean, I'm, I'm with you. And I think that, you know, you're right that these, like I said, these are not like the top of the list for me, you know, definitely not anywhere near the matrix movies to use a recent example, but, but yeah, I think, I think, you know, it's coming out at a place of, you know, subjective love. And, you know, when I, when I try and analyze it through the Zach lens that he, you know, sometimes puts over my eyes, you know, in the optometrist chair, he's like, which is better? My vision or my vision, you know, that type of thing. Like, I totally get where you're coming from, but this is one of the ones where I, I it makes me think of Rat Race when we did that last year, you know? Maybe that was a little more contentious because I think you were a lot of that. You were like, this is so dumb. And I'm like, but Zach, it's a fun dumb, you know? <laughs> the thing about the difference, though, is that, like, with Rat Race, 
Rat Race is like irreverent. Like it's 2001 yeah. irreverent. So like I'm willing to forgive that in a way. Like I was more disciplined. <laughs> sure. Again, that was a man at the show level where like I held it in so high regard, hadn't watched it in forever. And then you watch it and you're like, it's it, there, there's nothing again, we, we've talked about with a lot of movies, like half the fun going back to older movies. Is finding different layers you now appreciate the um, appreciate them on. Oh yeah, think about it. Like over time, it's not the art that changes; it's the viewer, mm-hmm. and that's what makes some stuff just last forever. Is because there's just so many different layers you appreciate every single year you watch it. And I, not to say you should expect that from Rat Race or Men in Black. Um, there's just some fundamentals that aren't there that are so jarring that I don't know how anybody could have just kind of like let them go sure. and and that's the thing like it almost feels like some movie again it reminds me of our venom 2 discussion in that it's like the movie's just burning through itself like it, it cannot wait to be over mm-hmm. and it's like okay like if you're gonna do that then just like make it like neat like give me my appetizer give me my main course and give me a dessert and then like wrap it up let's go sure sure i hear you i hear you yeah i i <sighs> I don't know. I mean, I mean, maybe that that's something that we'll we'll uh, we'll hash out more. This whole kind of you know uh, grander philosophical idea about the first Men in Black when we get into some scenes and stuff. But on the on the topic of the love for this movie, which is something that you know I, I said I've I've seen a lot of just going through my my life. Um, I do have to agree with you that you know most of the people who seem to enjoy this movie they are also Will Smith fans, and I think that plays a big role. I think it's very rare. I I, I would say. It's never happened that I've encountered another human being who goes, oh, yeah, I love Men in Black for Vincent D'Onofrio, you know? It's more of the time where I go, oh, yeah, that's Vincent D'Onofrio, you know, Kingpin or, you know, Bobby Gorin from Lorna. And they're like, really? That type of thing. Um, but I did find – I wanted to highlight this real quick because it gives us a little tangent into some other uh, cinemodities history. Um, in 2019, Empire Magazine took a poll of its readers. So this is a reader poll. I want to make that clear. Of the greatest movies of all time. And Men in Black came in 409th. So there is there is some love for it, but if if you would if you would allow me to digress a little bit, Zach, there are some other cinemodities movies that we've covered on here, and I'm not going to go through all of them because, of course, we've covered some big ones. Um, unfortunately, the highest one on the list is Blade Runner at number twenty, but I think we oh, covered God. that in our Blade Runner discussion that people have a weird love for that movie. I, I'd also wanted to mention Alien is thirty three. Which I respect, yeah. but not high enough for me. Aliens is 30, which should not be on this list. Um, and then, you know, like Shining is at 52. The Shining is at 52 and stuff like that. Um, but some of the ones that jumped out at me that I wanted to mention. Um, uh, oh, I also have to mention Spirited Away is 339 and Nightmare Before Christmas is 327. One of the ones that surprised me, Midnight Run made it on there at 317, higher than Men in Black. That surprised me. I thought that was a forgotten movie until, you know, we we dug it up, that type of thing. One of the other ones that really surprised me, An American Werewolf in London was 107. Yeah, I can see that. Okay, uh, that's that's something I know you had more history with, um, but that that I was I was kind of shocked by. And um, AI was two sixty five. <laughs> that's that that is more surprising than anything. And uh, lastly, I have to mention once again, I think reader poll um, Eraserhead is one ninety two. Oh, cool. Yeah, I'll yeah. take that. So, so I just I dug that up, and I thought that was pretty interesting when I, I did. And then, you know, also, like, Mulholland Drive's in the high 300s. Airplane's on there at, like, mid-300s. Um, Akira's at 440. That was – I thought that was cool. Um, and then, you know, you get, like, The Matrix is 39. Terminator 2 is 35. And I, I think number one – I didn't write it down, but I think it was The Godfather. Fight Club. Um, oh, Fight, co- Fight Club was, the Fight Club was definitely in, like, the top ten. I think, I think um, Godfather was number one, yeah. 
I didn't I didn't write those down though because we haven't covered those yet. I only wrote down the cinemodities. But but okay, Zach. So I I think we've established where we're coming from for the first movie, and and I I kind of figured we'd separate these two since this is the time travel series. After all, we'll have to focus on the third one for the time travel, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I guess we should focus. Like, it's barely focused on the third movie at all. Like, as a pl- yes. I guess the thing I gotta give the third movie credit for is that, like, considering how in most movies, the time travel element becomes like the core focal point of the story, mm-hmm. I gotta give them credit for pretty much barely introducing it and then immediately discarding it. Sure, sure. Yeah, they don't they don't rely on it too much. Well, I mean, they rely on it. Don't get me wrong, especially with the um the final fight scene with one of the versions of uh, Boris the animal. But you know, whoa, 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 whoa! It's just Boris. <laughs> <laughs> um, but on the while we're on the first one, of course, I mean, D'Onofrio. I'm just gonna you know keep citing D'Onofrio for this entire time, and then when we get to Men in Black Two, I'm gonna be saying pet cat there as well, you know. And and don't worry, Zach. When we get to our snacks, we'll get to uh, sugar. In water, you know, that type of thing. Um, but tangential in the movie to Vincent D'Onofrio's character, uh, one of my favorite things, I also, like I already mentioned, this movie has stuck with me for so long, I've been quoting it my whole life, uh, Siobhan Fallon Hogan, who plays Beatrice, his wife, the scene when they go to her farm to talk to her, and she um, offers them the lemonade, and Will Smith spits it out because she has no sugar to make lemonade with, so it tastes disgusting, which I think would taste great if it's just lemons and water. But, you know, her whole, the way she delivers those lines has always stuck with me, and I think that's a lot of what I want to say about the first one, is how these deliveries have just stuck in my head all these years. But the whole thing where she's like, you know, it was like he was wearing Egger, like an Egger suit. And it's like, wh- like, what is this accent or lisp or anything like that? I-, I love it. I thought it was so, it's just stuck with me for so many years. There's something so, like, a- attractive to my ears. You know what I'm saying? Chief police himself came up to the house and did a full-out professional investigation. Took a police report and written down everything I said from A to Z. And I believe one thing I said. Sort of poking fun at me. And they asked me if he was murdered, how was he able to walk back in the house? And I gotta admit to you, that one got me sort of stumped. But I'll tell you something right now. I know Egger, and that wasn't Egger. It's like something that's wearing Egger. Like a, like a suit. An Egger suit. No, I, I, no, I get it. Um, I, 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 I get it. But again, there's some unique moments in this. And that's where like I feel like there's a very specific reason why the Vincent D'Onofrio character is so far Oh god, like like this their stories are running parallel, mm-hmm. but they don't intersect really until the what, the very, very end. Yes, definitely. Yeah. really when they when Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones realize that they're looking for the cat. Absolutely. Well, yeah. that's the thing. I, to the point where like, I almost think that like that probably like, – the reason why that I can – for the record, I should say Barry Sonnefeld is probably a horrible director. Um, <laughs> like, like somebody who deserves to be in director jail. I, I wouldn't be surprised that Vince D'Onofrio stuff was all second unit. That's why like it resonates mm. differently than the Will Smith – like Will Smith and, and Tommy Lee Jones stuff okay. and, and how flat and just kind of vanilla relative to the more – unique stuff that happens with the Vincent D'Onofrio character. Oh, that's an interesting idea. Um, yeah, I mean, Barry Sonnenfeld, I, I, I have not seen all of his movies. Um, I will in the future, now that we've done Wild Wild West and we will 
eventually finish the um, the three Men in Blacks. You know, later this year we'll, we'll finish the second one. I will certainly be pushing uphill, just like I'm pushing up the hill, finishing the Matthew Bright filmography, finishing the Barry Sonnenfeld filmography. So one day, Zach, we'll get to talk about Nine Lies, where Kevin and Spacey our, turns and into a cat. RV. Yes, <laughs> and what for love or money with Michael J. Fox? That's I haven't seen that one. You'll, um, okay, you'll be okay, Rob. We all know your fascination with um oh god what was his name oh god um oh god your favorite filmmaker you meet joe black oh martin breast martin breast and trying to find what hot dogs for gogan yes yes okay you are aware that barry son like half of barry sonfeld's like like filmography is tv show pilots that were not picked up by the network definitely (laughs) so like there's your mount everest rob you can dig up all these like i think there's a oh god you know that okay in my research you might have known this but i think i might drop a bombshell on you okay. this is a an unintentional cinematis crossover okay <laughs> are you aware that barry sonfeld directed the pilot for the police academy show or like beverly hills cop like like pilot tv show I, I knew about the beverly hills cop one yeah i did not know about i don't did not know about police academy Oh, please, Kevin. Yeah, Beverly Hills. Oh, Bever- Cop. oh, yeah, yeah. I knew about the one. Um, the, that was in the what the early 2010s. They tried to pick yep. that up. Yeah, I know Ben yep. and I mentioned that. And yes, yes, he did that. He did that. And it got rejected movie. by the networks. Yes, yes. And I, I should say, you know, I think I mentioned it in our Wild Wild West episode, but I'll bring it up again. I love the Netflix adaptation of a series of unfortunate events, which he directed most of. Um, but I think the the key to that show and how fanciful those books are, uh, dourly fanciful, I guess, is that he was working with Bo Welch for that. And that, I think that's why it makes a, a lot of sense. But but yeah, I mean, that uh, you're right. I think what is... Um, didn't he do uh, – it got picked up, of course, but wasn't Bear, uh, Sonnenfeld involved with the Warburton Tick in the early 2000s? Didn't that happen? I think he was involved I don't, with that. I don't know. That's okay. one that I am not aware of. Um, but yeah, but there's definitely a lot of stuff that he just kind of, you know, um, didn't didn't get off the ground for him, I guess, for sure. <laughs> but yeah, no, um, the getting some moments from – like, okay, do we want to talk about the first film or the third yeah, no, film? Let, let's talk about the first film because I, cause the, I think the, the third one is um, you know, more of the one that I, I have a lot to say because the first one I'm like, I've seen this so many times. I've stuck with it. I like these moments. I have a few I want to highlight, but I'm more interested with the first movie. Were there those moments that you were getting angry at it like you were mentioning? Are any in the first movie before we get to the third one? Um, in the first movie, I, again, it's, oh God, like, I, I wouldn't even know because like, there's some really kind of fun moments. Like probably my favorite moment in either one of these movies is the moment where obviously Rip Torn has them, has like Will Smith and all the other like military top of the thing, oh, like yes. top of their class, which becomes a joke. That's probably my favorite scene in either one of the movies. I quote that all the time. The best of the best of the best, sir. With honest, I, I say I say that quite a bit. <laughs> but that's like that's at least funny because like everybody again, there's a level of relatability because everybody's been there at some point where you have that person who's trying to like overcompensate by yep. displaying all their achievements. What will follow is a series of simple tests for motor skills, concentration, stamina. I see we have a question. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm sorry. Maybe you already answered this, but uh, why exactly are we here, son? Second Lieutenant Jake Jensen, West Point, graduate with honors. We're here because you're looking for the best of the best of the best, sir. (laughs) What's so funny, Edwards? Your boy Captain America over here. The best of the best of the best, sir. (laughs) With honors. 
you know, he's just really excited and he has no clue why we're here. <laughs> that's just, that's very funny to me. <laughs> Y'all ain't laughing though. And even the thing at the end, the very practical approach where everybody is struggling trying to fill out this survey, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. And obviously he eventually pulls the what what the, the table that makes this horrible sound as he drags it across the floor. Oh, I love that scene. I love that there's no score, that it's totally silent. I even love all the stuff when like Will Smith breaks the pencil, rips the page, breaks the pencil, and you're seeing all the people uncomfortable. Like Captain America over here, that's another part of the with honors line. And then but oh my god, that, yeah, that stuff is so funny. <laughs> Like I said, that's fun. And then, like, I remember even the moment, like, immediately following that where it's the uh, uh, shooting exercise. Mm-hmm. And you go through the entire thing and Rip Torn goes up to him and it's like, so, like, explain what happened here. <laughs> Why did little Susie got... deserve to die? <laughs> and that's that's funny. Like, you get it, though. Like, it has all of its things where, like, okay. But, like, it like you watch that without understanding what like what these what this movie's about Mm -hmm. because at this point the rules haven't really been explained to the universe sure like all we know is that like tommy lee jones shot an alien in the desert and will smith like chased the guy who can run fast yep and that's essentially it so like you have him explaining it as if almost he's aware of the rules of the world before the audience is where i'm like it's it's a funny moment in retrospect like after you've seen the movie it's almost like the terminator i'll be back like unless you've seen the movie that moment uh, means nothing to you sure sure and it's like one of those weird chicken and the egg scenarios like when it comes to like film pop culture it's like is this a funny moment or is it a funny moment because like we all know through cultural osmosis what the context is for this? I gotcha. I hear what you're saying. Yeah, and that's a, that's an interesting point. I I know – I think it was with Ben. You weren't around, but I've cited that scene with some problems where um, them using calculus – if you have a calculus textbook, you're smart and where calculus is like one of the most basic classes you can take. But that's beside the point. But I, I see what you're saying that you know the movie – having the – Maybe in the internal logic of the movie, in what you're saying, having all these recruits, the army guys and then the military guys and then, you know, NYPD, Will Smith, having them shoot at the cardboard cutouts of aliens, it only really makes sense to us because we know the movie's about aliens. Because at that point, Will Smith in universe has been neuralized by Tommy Lee Jones and he takes him to the Chinese food restaurant. And exactly. so, so there's really no reason, like, shouldn't there have been a scene where Will Smith is like, you know, in his very, you know, um, goofball, maybe not goofball, but maybe a smarmier way or some wise ass way that he plays in this movie like why are we shooting these creatures or something like that like not even say aliens say like what are all these things but like this is the thing though like clearly that moment is supposed to be telling the audience that like he has a clear disdain for authority Mm -hmm. and he's somebody who doesn't follow the rules yes which the men in black are known for following their <laughs> rules. Like this is the, like, cause again, they make a big point of like, obviously and it comes out of nowhere at the end, very end of the movie that like, Oh, agent K wants to like be done with this. Cause he misses his wife. Yeah. Which they never really explain even in the sequel that it's very poorly explained as to what is going on with her. Absolutely. Um, and so it's like, okay, he, like he knew Jay was going to be an excellent replacement for him. I'm like, no, like, th- like, this is not set up at all. Like, it's not set up at any point that, like, why would Jay's personality and disdain for authority resonate with 
okay. I'm with I'm but, with you there because until they retcon it a little bit at the end of the third movie, because Will Smith's daddy was a hero, uh, Luke Cage himself was a hero in the men, third Men in Black movie. That I mean, you know, uh, what Zed says something when they're watching from behind the scenes. Zed's like, "You're like, are you sure about this?" And Tommy Lee Jones is like, "He he caught up to a cephalopod. Doesn't that count for something?" And it's like, okay, so you're I'm with you that the the idea is like, okay, so you're recruiting Will Smith because he was fast. <laughs> That's it. Like, that's kind of it. Like, and then even, like, oh, God, like, that, like, what, first, like, 30 minutes? And it's like, why is Will Smith, like, dressed like he's Will Smith in the 1990s? Yeah, it's like, yeah. It's like, like the how, Fresh please... Prince thing where he turns his um his school uniform jacket inside out and it's fucking like a reggae Rasta, you know, pattern or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, like, again, there's things just happening because Will Smith pop culture stardom absolutely and it's like okay um then even like as we watch them like kind of like follow the clues to hunt down vincent d'onofrio like a lot of it is just i don't want to say happenstance but like some of it's cute like the whole thing like tommy lee jones goes up to the tabloids and he's like like it's like oh god the most like <laughs> the hot like, sheets, like, like, yeah. Reli- yeah yeah reliable form of news that we have it's like okay that's a cute haha moment because yes at the time, everybody knew about the tabloids and how, like, kind of was just farcical. That's not really a thing anymore. Yeah. I, I, I also guess... liked it because it made me think of Freaked when um, Stewie Gluck gets he, – he can only publish uh, Ricky's story in um, one of those tabloids. <laughs> but that's the thing that I think is fascinating is that, like, think about it. If you're showing somebody Men in Black now, would they even get that joke? Is that joke even funny anymore? Oh, no, like, not Tabloids at all. don't exist anymore. No, yeah, not at all. Like, I don't think – I used – I remember going back to the grocery store when I was real young, like, with my – my mom, mom or dad or whatever, and I would always love seeing those tabloids and the continuing story of Bat Boy and shit like that. But no one sees that anymore. You know, nobody even goes fucking grocery shopping anymore. You can just order it and pick it up. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, like, again, I would imagine oh again, Rob is I want to try this. I want to, like, find a grocery store app for ordering and see if I can add the National Enquirer. <laughs> No, Rob, the, the, the modern day equivalent is like the Time Magazine retrospective on like Indiana Jones or the Marvel <laughs> Cinematic Universe. Yeah, That's yeah. the modern day equivalent of a tabloid. <laughs> no, so like it, it, there's just – I would imagine – again, Rob has seen Men in Black International. I have not. I would imagine there's a joke in that, but they probably swapped out National Enquirer for like Twitter or 4chan, so, something like that. They probably have some low-hanging fruit like that. Probably. I remember so little about that movie. <laughs> um, but no, like, that's the thing. Is like I think so much of the humor in this movie is so steeped in, like, 90s, like, not even want to say irreverent culture, but just, like, 90s, like, vibe, like you were saying, like, vibrant jacket like humor sure um like even there's the moment where like oh god like what the aliens like leaving the new york city area with his wife because she's pregnant yep. and like Kay's like oh let me talk to you and it's like oh your wife will be fine like jay will take care of her and we see like this is overweight like woman like going into labor and it's like what does this have to do with like aliens and then like we see obviously in the foreground Kay is talking to the man about like fatherhood and all that. Like he's a very generic like fatherhood coming of age like mm. story. And then like we see Jay just in the background just being like throttled by like tentacles. And it's like what is going on? Like we've not established that the wife is an alien. We have not established that why are there tentacles? Then the whole sequence just ends with like a little baby squid alien and it's like oh Gucci Gucci goo aren't you cute? And it just it vomits on him. Yeah, it's like ha 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 puke. 
it's sophomoric. Absolutely. It's idiotic. Yeah. That is definitely it's my just, least favorite scene in the movie, for sure. Yeah. But, like, it doesn't even make, like, I, like, I have no problem with humor that I don't find funny as long as it's out properly. Mm-hmm. Um, again, there are people out there that, like, make fun of, again, like, we've talked about That's My Boy. Um, but at least you've, there's things in that movie that have been set up. Like, think of all the vanilla ice humor in that movie. Yes, yes. Um, you've set up the fact that, like, Adam Sandler's Donnie is, like, this, oh, God, like, washed up 80s, like, oddly enough, like, Jerry Springer star. Yep, yep. And so, like, all his stuff are all kind of, like, shenanigans that are derived from somebody like that. And yet you have people out there saying that, well, like, Men in Black is, like, a comedic masterpiece of the 90s. It doesn't really – it's not funny. It's just stuff happening that people are con- have somehow subconsciously convinced themselves that it's funny. Yeah, I, th- I think this goes back to what we were saying about the um, – like me saying it was a popcorn movie is that it is one of those movies like there's no grander idea. You know, Maybe you can parse through something, but it really is just there to be like a very you know, enjoyable like blockbuster type thing. And you know, I think it comes down to that resonance of like – or the idea of like does it resonate with you, that type of thing. Um, because you know, I, I'm with you that, you know, like the, the scene with the, the written exam, like I find that very funny and I can say like, oh, because it's silent because you have like Will Smith is, is not like speaking too much in that scene. So you don't have his like smarm or wise ass too much. It's just like through the facial expressions. And then you juxtapose it with like the, um, the baby squid thing that you mentioned, which is like you said, very sophomoric and things like that. And I think it all comes down to, you know, does it resonate with you? And that, that's, I think that's what happens with these types of movies where they're just meant to try and just like hit as many nails on the head as possible or, you know, strike as many chords with people as possible. Exactly. Um, but even like I said, there's even things like on a storytelling level that just don't make sense to me. Absolutely. Like even that moment where obviously you have um, not Michael Berryman and the guy <laughs> that ha- who's like the the prince of the Nebulon galaxy who has the, the, the Orion's belt. The galaxy. Yep. And it's like you have this entire thing where like he's a jeweler like walking out of the thing, taking a cab, meet, meeting not Michael Berryman. And like we it's like, oh, like, sir, you are not safe here. Oh, OK. But at least can we eat first? Of course, sir. I ordered you pierogies. And I'm like, is that the joke that aliens like eating in like a European dish? Like, ha, <laughs> Like, was there some idiot in the theater that just, like, couldn't stop laughing at that? Like, what's the joke? Oh, aliens like eating – I don't even want to say eccentric, just slightly foreign foods. It's it's, like – it's like, what's the joke? I don't. Like, I don't like really. Guy humor. Yeah, I don't even know if I. I don't think I've ever even thought there was a joke there. I mean, if anything, I think the joke is that you know they are in a public space talking in their own language and they're able to do that at a foreign restaurant. I don't. I, that's all I've ever thought of. But I've never really found that scene funny or anything. But that's what I mean, though. But like, like there's no. There's like you do not need that scene in the movie. All you need to know is that like, oh, like you need – think about it. At some moment you hear that like Jay and Carrie like, oh, like there was a killing of a this, this, this at a restaurant. Mm-hmm. You don't even need that sequence. All you need is the cat getting to the morgue. That's all you need. Sure, sure. And so there's these weird like – again, I don't even want to call it flourishes. I think a flourish is too kind. You have these weird like just like tacked on moments that are just there. Like, like it, it's just – it's unnecessary. Like there's almost like – there's not even a story to this movie. I think that's what I find so frustrating. Like, it's almost as if, like, it's like, okay, we have this concept. Let's try to just put stuff around the concept and insulate it so much that people will think it's substance. I Yeah, I know where you're coming from. And, I mean, I, I think that's another reason that maybe um, it resonates with so many people. And I, maybe possibly resonates with me is that it is um, – 
you know, I, I think in, in contrast to, like, when, when we talk about certain things on here, I mention certain things that I really, really love. You know, like, take, for example, Southland Tales. I absolutely love that movie. Oh, that's one of my favorite movies because it's so convoluted, because it's so dense, because there's too much going on. And then there's something kind of refreshing to me about this for the reason you just said, that really nothing happens, and it's just kind of like, you know... Wafer uh, thin? It, uh, yeah, you know, I'm not, I'm not, definitely not disagreeing with you that it is wafer thin. It's just a, it's a, it's a tasty wafer thin to me. <laughs> but that's what I mean, though. But like, this is not like I wouldn't mind if this was like something. I'm trying to think of something that's comparable. Oh God, oh God, what was that? Okay, did you ever see that movie? I'm, I'm definitely don't remember the name of it. It's with Guy, Guy Pierce, and like he's in charge of. It's imagine Escape from New York, but it's Space Jail. Did you ever see that? Oh, no, I didn't. But I know what you're talking about. I, God, I don't remember the name of that either. It's called Space Jail. That's all you need to know. That's what the movie's called. It's called Space Jail. It's like <laughs> The Mandarin it's like, in Space. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yes. Good. Space Jail. I'm the Mandarin. I am the Mandarin. That's the thing. Is that like that is a super, super thin premise. It's it's like the idea. But like nobody holds that film in high regard. Mm-hmm. The thing about it is that people hold this movie to this day in high regard. Absolutely. Um, and I don't get it. Like, I just – it's again, it's Blade Runner syndrome all over again where I'm just like, does anybody who loved this movie actually watched it? Or are they just simply regurgitating, like like you said, like a top X popular Sure, film sure. Well, I'm, I'm glad you bring up Blade Runner, you know, especially when I re- told you that it's so high in that list at 20. I know Blade Runner I, – I get the comparison you're making, and I don't think it's an incorrect comparison, but – I do think that Blade Runner is a more egregious example because of the the perceived thematic ideas of it. You know, remember we talked about how, like, you can go to the Wikipedia page, you can read tons of articles where they're like, oh, this is so deep, this has so much meaning, you know, there's there's biblical imagery and, like, all that stuff. And we were like, what the fuck are these people talking about? Like, did they watch the movie? Here I think it's different. I don't think there's anybody analyzing this on a grander scale. This to me comes across more as, whereas Blade Runner is, oh, we think it's this artistic masterpiece. I think the people who hold this movie in high regard, it comes more across to me as right place, right time for that age bracket. Does that make sense? Sure, sure. Okay. Well, no, absolutely. But I think, again, I think Blade Runner is obviously the more egregious because people actually think that has substance. Nobody who loves this film thinks it has substance. Yes. But it's still one of these ones where like, if you were to sit there like – go look up an article, top five – whether it be BuzzFeed or Watch Mojo, go look up like top five Will Smith performances and this will be there. Definitely. This will 100 percent be there. And he's not doing anything other than his thing that we made fun of him for in Wild Wild West of this is not how you transport – nitro like it's this that like it's that exact same performance and and that's kind of what he did for almost the entirety of the 90s and a very good portion of the 2000s yeah absolutely and i I know i mentioned earlier but i just want to clarify i definitely think will smith is stale in this first movie like uh, upon this rewatch you know he definitely came across as more stale to me than i remembered um and that might be a very you know nostalgia type thing that when i was younger it he clicked with me more or something like that but on this rewatch i was like yeah he doesn't really he doesn't really fit too well you know he kind of stands up a little bit i don't think it like you know well I was about to say it doesn't break the immersion of the movie. I think the immersion is broken by how, you know, goofy it is. But, you know, I, I definitely think I'm with you that, you know, he, he is not the the right fit. But in contrast to that, I do love the chemistry he has with Tommy Lee Jones. Like, 
for an example, another scene I wanted to mention, because we, we had to mention him, Jack Jeebs, played by Monk himself, Tony Shalhoub. Oh, that first scene when, you know, he, um, he like, Tommy Lee Jones wants to know what gun the uh, the uh, cephalopod used on um, Will Smith, so he takes him to Jeebs' place, and they just kind of fall into this good cop, bad cop routine, and a lot of that is really fun, and I'm like, that's where I think it thrives better. But when Will Smith is doing a lot of that wise-ass stuff, like we were saying, it just, it, it doesn't really click with me. Yeah, no, like I said, the thing with Tony Shalhoub, like, obviously he gets shot in the head, and then we sit there, have Jay, like, put the gun down, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Like, no, that, that's a fun moment where you're, like, reevaluating the rules of the universe. Mm-hmm. Um, That's neat. Like, that's what the movie needed more of. It needed more of that, less of, like, oh, God, Rip Torn looking at a computer screen that says, deliver the galaxy or <laughs> Earth will suffer the consequences. And the literal Sorry. ticking clock. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, that's, like, it's, like what like what does this mean like we have this weird third party that we've never been introduced before that now has become an existential threat mm-hmm. it's like where is this coming from like like why wasn't this done earlier like instead of making that a generic alien that's trying to like sneak into the u.s through like like what a migrant like like thing mm-hmm. like why not make the like that alien one of those like tie it into the plot Sure. Um, I'm totally with you. Yeah. I'm glad you bring that up because that was something I was finding in my research that – which I never knew until, you know, looking into it for this recording that the – Apparently there was that whole thing of the Archelians, like in, uh, the the threat to Earth, I guess, you know, was supposed to be more fleshed out. There was supposed to be this whole thing, like the the actual motivation of the movie was supposed to be that, you know, the the Arch- they they wanted to find the galaxy because the Archelians wanted to give it to the, the Baltans. There was some other alien race that was supposed to be in here that would end a war, but the bug wanted to stop it because they want the war to keep going because apparently the bug species or race or whatever, you know, feeds off of the um the casualties from the war and they're like so it seemed like it was supposed to be real fleshed out, but then somewhere in in the process, you know, they were just like, gut it, you know, take it all out. You know, it's it's like the scene with Linda Fiorentino when she's like, you know, feeling around in the guy's body and she's like, there's no organs here. It's like that's what they did to this movie. They took out all the organs and they put in these um these more popcornish comedy moments. Comedy, as we've been saying in air quotes, of course. <laughs> well, I think that's probably what happened was that like considering that Barry Sonnenfeld was another one of those people that just like, again, as long as the check clears – um, I get to work with some of the biggest talent in Hollywood. Why not? I'm um, thinking about Will Smith, height of his powers. Sure. And and Barry Sonfield was his go to person. Why not? Yeah, um yeah. and probably the studio probably again, whoever pushed slightly pushed back, Barry Sonfield, I would imagine, offered very little resistance. That that's the thing. So I I'm again, like I said, there's there I just don't get outside of just nineties nostalgia why we even talk about these movies anymore like, and i think the proof is in the pudding yeah. in that like why the sequels just never none of them ever got off the ground um it was just that fading star power of will smith that kept them afloat and i think men in black international is truly the final nail in the coffin and because yes. he wasn't even there and i think again i think they had an opportunity to rehabilitate this with the uh, channing tatum jonah hill thing like i think that was a a way of turning like invigorating fresh blood and really having fun with the premise. Yeah, absolutely. And I Sony would love just... to see that, man. I anything would have been better than what we the painfully bland existence of Men in Black International as the the stupid fucking like Thor Ragnarok ripoff that it is yeah. with Tessa Thompson and Chris Hemsworth. Oh god, it's so it's so bad. I would have taken 
anything. The Jump Street Men in Black crossover, who knows? It would probably have been a mess, but I'll take a mess over something that literally, I watched that with my parents when they visited me, like, however long ago, like, earlier last year or something like that, and the day after we watched it, like, the next morning, like, less than 12 hours, I think, when we watched it, my mom was saying to me, like, what even happened in that movie? Like, it was it was that bland, and it sucks that that's how we had to go out when, when I know we'll get to it, but I think 3 is a, is a, a fun kind of conclusion to the arc of Agent K type of thing, or maybe storyline. K doesn't K. K doesn't have an arc. K just is just a character that these things just happen to, <laughs> and there's no sense of continuity in his life. No, that's the thing. This doesn't even feel like a movie. It feels like like a fever dream, like half remembrance. Like that's what it feels like. Like no. Like, the, like, it doesn't even feel like a story. It just feels like these two characters were like these weird vignettes almost happened to them. Like, nothing, no content. It's almost like, oh, God. Like, I don't even know. Because, again, we live in a society now where continuity reigns supreme oh, upon yeah. everything else yeah. um, when it comes to narrative storytelling. So, like, I don't know. But, like, just nothing makes sense in Kay's life. Nothing. But no, it just because again, we definitely got touched touch again for a time travel series. We're spending very, very little on time travel. <laughs> yes, yes. We'll get to that. We'll go back in time and get to it for sure. But like, but even like again, going back to another moment in this where we have the morgue lady whose name Rob's already said like four times, and I do not care enough to remember repeating. I, well, I had to remember it. Linda Fiorentino. Everybody. Get ready for our Men in Black 2 episode. There are some fucking insane behind-the-scenes stories about why she did not return to Men in Black 2, which I can't wait to talk about. But Please the, tune on, in yeah, roughly a few four and a half months from now. Yeah, but I have to say, Linda Fiorentino, oh my god, what a beautiful voice in this movie. It's very soothing, and that's probably a big part of why I like this movie. <laughs> But even like okay, you have the moment where like I I forgot how little room she has in this movie. Oh, like, yeah, I forgot she's barely, barely in there. <laughs> I misremembered it. So it's like you have the moment where obviously they see her in the morgue, they neuralize her. Will Smith goes off on a five minute tangent about giving her brain cancer, and so like eventually they circle back to her because obviously Vincent D'Onofrio shows up, mm-hmm. and like we have the moment where she's trying to very covertly tell him that like oh he's underneath like. The the not the curtain, but just like underneath what the the not even gurney. It's something like um, that. Yeah, yeah. Something some, like some that. Some table on wheels. Yep. <laughs> and like and obviously like she's trying to be like oh like there's something unusual happening below. Mm. And again, if Rob will definitely insert the clip. How you doing? Hello. I'm Sergeant Friday from the 26th precinct. A uh, cat came in with a corpse the other day. Uh, Orion on the name tag. Yes, that's right. Right. Uh, well, this cat is a uh, a witness. Yeah, in a murder case. Somebody to take him with me, ask him a few questions. Well, I don't know where the cat is right now. Oh, you don't? No, but maybe you could take me with you instead. <laughs> Damn, you do start fast, don't you? I'd really like to go with you. Now. Uh-huh. And, uh, exactly why is that? There's something I need to show you. Mm, slow down, girl. You ain't got to hit the gas like that. No, you don't understand. You really need to see this. Oh, I will. I will. Oh, uh, one thing. I got to drive. You know, it's not some macho trip. I'm, I'm saying that's just the way I get down. Mm. Look, 
Look, stud, you're really not getting this. There's something I need you to help me with. Yeah, Will Smith it, says something like, damn, girl, you do move fast or something. Some Will Smith yeah, line. Yeah, it's like, like, that, yeah. He beca- like, out of nowhere, he becomes extremely horny. And I'm just <laughs> like, where has this been? Like, there's nothing. Like, at this point, this is an asexual movie. Like, there are no female characters except for her. And she's, for the most part, been presented like as a non-sexual entity. And then yeah. out of nowhere, he just has a raging heart on. And it's just like, what is happening? <laughs> I'm like, this comes out of nowhere. There's no setup. Like, other than just like hardy har har, there this is unnecessary. There could have been a million ways to set up that scene differently than how they did. That would have been more effective. Oh, I, I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. I don't I don't disagree. Um but but yeah, I'm totally with you that it is it is kind of asexual, especially when you put it that way. Her character is, you know, she has said early in the movie, like, I hate the living, you know, I, I want to be alone down in this morgue, you know, that type of thing. She's annoyed with the cat and all that stuff. And then Will Smith sees it as something completely different when she's trying to get his or, you know, divert his attention or whatever you want to call that scene. Uh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Like I said, so much stuff in this movie is disjointed, like so so much to the point where i'm just like again the, the last five minutes is fun like it's fun watching like obviously they take like they what they have they're in the car and it's what the lincoln tunnel mm-hmm. and it's like oh god we'll never make it through this traffic very relatable premise push the red button <laughs> but i thought you said never push the red button you yep. push it and obviously like then you get the really stupid like the really stupid slapstick thing he forgot to put his seatbelt on oh, i always yeah. told you i always said to put your seatbelt on slick and like he's listening to like what the uh, the country music, the Elvis song. And, yeah, another line I always yeah, stuck with me: "Elvis didn't die; he just went home." <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's cute. Um, I'm going to be no. saying that whenever I go see Baz Luhrmann's Elvis in theaters. I'm going to be saying that uh, Elvis isn't dead; he just went home. <laughs> oh God! Yes, Baz Luhrmann Elvis is coming, um, and Tom Hanks Colonel. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I can no, only that, hope we get vestigial twin stuff in that movie. I swear oh to God, God, if we don't. <laughs> oh, my God. That would be, that'd be incredible if we got that. Um, go Google that, folks. Google that. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's I don't know. Yeah, I'm realizing now. I don't know if we've ever talked about that to our audience, but Zach and I like to bring that up all the time. <laughs> Why did Elvis do a bunch of drugs? Was it because like the the pressure of being the most famous rock star ever got to him? No, it's because he killed his twin in utero. <laughs> oh god, oh god. Um so so there was um one one moment, maybe in terms of the goofiness and craziness that is in this first movie. One of the things that I one of the tiny moments that I had never really stuck out to me but did on this last viewing in that scene that we were just describing where, you know, um, Vincent D'Onofrio as the bug. He uh, takes Linda Fiorentino hostage and like takes her out of the morgue with um, with the galaxy. And then you know J and K have to follow him as as um, the bug leaves the morgue. He steals the guy's cab. Like he rips out the cab driver and he gets in the cab and drive. Well, he makes Linda Fiorentino drive to the um, the Queen in Queens, the um, the World's Fair site. And when J and K come out of the morgue. They're like, you know, I think, you know, what, there's a little gag where Jay is running and Kay is walking or something like that to go get the car. And um, and it's however it's set up is that when the bug gets into the car, he rips out the driver and he rips out like his prayer mat and his crown and just throws it on the um, like religious artifacts and throws them on the ground, like just on the on the street. And when Will Smith comes out, he says to Kay, 
he's in a cab and it like snap zooms to the religious artifacts and it's, it just came across as so weird to me that there's a, an insert shot of these things just on the ground and he's like he's in a cab um i mean i know they're talking about how most like i think they say there's a line earlier where like a lot of cab drivers are aliens or something like that but i just thought that was so strange i don't know did you pick up on that at all the, the religious artifacts? I, i've always remembered that like where like the cab driver gets like like yanked out of the cab and mm-hmm. we deliberately like get a shot of vincent d'onofrio pulling like oh god what the thing like on that's on a seat like onto the ground it's it's peculiar i have picked up on that because for some reason the camera lingers on it for an inexplicable reason he's in a cab (laughs) another thing i did not remember which i did remember big time in men in black 2 which is what most of our men in black 2 discussion will be about the david cross scene uh but david cross is in the first one i forgot he was the morgue attendant uh killing the bugs um i thought that was good you know because i love me some david cross uh you know and d'onofrio is like don't do that when he's like he's just smacking bugs just right in the morgue and i'm like that's a very dirty morgue you know (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but yeah i mean you know overall i think um it's it's good fun. I mean, I it resonates with me, and that's the thing is I'm not disagreeing with anything you're saying, Zach. But this is kind of very popcorn movie, and it's it's a very strung together series of events, loosely strung together. But man, it works for me. And you're right. You know, I I think you're convincing me that it is a lot of the nostalgia bug for me. Um, that you know, paired with a lot of the fun alien stuff, paired with the the wonderfully soothing voice that Lin, Linda Fiorentino has in this movie, and then also I did want to mention because it comes up in um, I think unfortunately only the first two the third one really doesn't have one of these i like the little little tease at the not tease but the little bumper at the end of the big alien playing of the the marbles with the galaxies i like that zoom out at the end what did you think of that that's neat no i i wish the movie would have like done more things like that other than the kind of this the cheap gag sure sure yeah, I'm kind of I'm kind of with you. I'm kind of with you there. I think the bumper at the end of Men in Black 2 is the superior one, but this one also works very very well. Just some other things I wanted to mention. Um I really really like the score for this movie. It's our good friend Danny Elfman, you know. I I love some of the music. I think that is hugely nostalgic for sure. I I I wanted to ask you this on the topic of the music because this is something I I feel like I might be misremembering, but since you had this on VHS as well back in the day, did the VHS in some capacity, of course it would have had to been, you know, during the beginning at previews or if there were previews on VHS, I don't know, or at the end after the credits, was the music video for Will Smith's Men in Black songs somehow involved with I the knew, VHS? I knew you were going to say that. Um, I've been remembering this for you because I know I've seen the music video and I remember seeing it when I was watching it like at my grandmother's house and there was no probably, computer there. It, pro- it, it had prob- to be on the VHS. <laughs> Robbie, you were torrenting at your grandmother's house. <laughs> it, the year was 99. <laughs> The quality 140p. I found um, I found a Napster site. I think before Napster was around. <laughs> oh God. Um. I don't know if I had to guess. I would imagine so because so many VHSs would have quote special features. Yeah. Um. Yeah. If I had to guess, the VHS tape probably had to be printed. Printed, whatever you want to call it, pressed. Um. Probably after the DVD like boom of the like late 90s. Okay probably in order to compete so maybe because i'm pretty sure my father again i don't have my father's copy anymore uh, as rob knows from my yard sale this past summer i got rid of all my vhs tapes yep. um so probably in later pressings if i had to guess probably like 99 2000 maybe 
Um, even even if not, I wouldn't be surprised considering it was such like uh, oh god, even when the film was released, such a heavy marketing tool. Sure. Um, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Okay. I, okay. I, I would be sh- almost shocked if it wasn't. Yeah, I for some reason I remember seeing the music video. I remember Will Smith dancing around with some background dancers. I remember um, what Mikey, the alien that gets killed in the beginning by Kay. I think he's in the music video, or it it's in the music video. Whatever. That's uh, I remember that very vividly. Okay, Zach. Before we finish up the first movie, some uh, some some uh, items we have to cover. Of course. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. oh whoa, yes. Wow, wow. We have to talk about the twin towers. The fact. What? The Twin Towers. <laughs> well, yeah. Okay, yes, that's, that's, that's what I was about to say. A Twin Tower alert for this movie. We get a shot I of the Twin want, I just want it known that in that moment where we have Jay getting like, played around with by the giant tentacle, that is not the most interesting thing in the background. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, but before we get into that, we got to talk about the music and the fact oh, that, sure. for the, that, that Men in Black, the song performed by Will Smith, samples the song forget me not by patrice ruchin yes how could i almost forget that we we you even told me before we recorded that we had to bring this up (laughs) because i want okay the first time i was ever introduced to the forget me not song was this is gonna be is rob's gonna laugh maybe one of the most zach things you could possibly ever say As I listen to the Rush Limbaugh program, oh. Rush would sit there for bumpers coming back from commercial breaks, just have like instrumentals play of songs he liked. Um, like he had um, Who Can It Be Now, the instrumental of that. Okay. Um, countless, countless songs sure, that, sure. Like, uh, that were popular like in the 80s and 70s. And one of them was Forget Me Not. And for the longest time, I used to always think like, why would he play an instrumental of the Men in Black theme? I'm like, that is so <laughs> peculiar. Okay, I like where this is going. Time. <laughs> Until at one point in his program, like one of his producers, I guess like you never hear because all you ever heard was Rush or the guest. Um, he goes, it's not the Men in Black theme. <laughs> like he just said that. It's like a non sequitur because okay. obviously somebody was whispering in his ear. So it wasn't until I would say maybe the last six months that where I work, we have music that plays and this song was playing. And I'm like, this must be the song that it was sampled from and that Rush was playing. And I'm not kidding. This must have happened in the last couple of months where I Shazammed it. God bless Shazam. (laughs) And I actually have it in one of my Spotify playlists, Forget Me Not. And I listen to it often because it's a really nice beat. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I want everybody to know, like, stop giving Will Smith credit. (laughs) Don't. Don't give him credit. Give his music producers credit because they found a really nice beat and decided to sample it. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. And I would please, please beg Rob that we do not play the Men in Black theme song we play forget me nots. Mm, okay, okay. In reverse. Okay, we'll keep that we'll we'll keep that on the table for the end of the episode. Okay. No peach bowl. No peach bowl. <laughs> All right. Okay, no, I'm glad I'm glad you reminded me of that. Yeah, absolutely. That's a that's a I think it's a definitely a better song than the Men in Black song. Um which I think we got it a little bit in our Wild West song with that one with Will Smith that none of those I've never really been a big fan of Will Smith's Smith's music and that type of stuff. Some other minor things. I do like that uh, we get the offhand line in this movie that the um, the way that the Men in Black is able to s- keep the operation funded is that they hold the patent on things that aliens have given them. And I believe Tommy Lee Jones lists Velcro, microwaves, and liposuction. I, I like that. I love the board of aliens, the monitoring alien board, because of the ones that I noticed. Danny DeVito's on there, of course. I actually brought that up back in our Danny DeVito series. But also Al Roker, Sylvester Stallone. Newt Gingrich. 
<laughs> Tony Robbins and George Lucas. <laughs> New Gingrich was the funniest one. That was yeah. one where I just kind of like New laugh. Gingrich on there, I was like, oh man, that's a joke I did not get when I was younger. <laughs> But yeah, I think um, I think that's pretty much it for the first one. Oh, I mean, of course, um, there's that scene when it, it cut, if what fades to white or whatever, and you you pick back up uh, Tommy Lee Jones and Will Smith at the Chinese food restaurant, and Tommy Lee Jones is the but honey, this one's eating my popcorn, and then he laughs. That laugh is exactly the same as the one he does as Two Face in the Joel Schumacher What Batman Forever. I think that one is. Um, oh yeah, and it is oh, identical because yes. I watched that one in the la- I watched those Batman movies in the last year, and um, I would just heard that and it brought me back like I had nom flashbacks to uh, to him as Two Face. <laughs> Um, I love the Guggenheim chase at the beginning. I love the Guggenheim in general. Um, uh, for all you people from New York City out there, uh, the Whitney is the better museum, the far superior museum. And uh, then two last things I wanted to say. I love Rip Torn's delivery of the line, we're not hosting an interla- intergalactic kegger down here. That stuck with me for a long, long time. And then I think the last thing I have to say, Zach, is uh, a pet cat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I choked on my own spit there. Um, <laughs> so can we? That, I, oh, yeah, go for it. As a nice segue into Men in Black Three, can we please talk about the weird affinity this franchise has for like the Mets and Shea Stadium? Oh, oh, sure, absolutely. Uh, good old Shea Stadium, which I have been to, but you can't go anymore. It's been torn down. Uh, yep. And now, what MetLife Stadium is where the Mets play, I think. Um, but yeah, I, I I picked up on that too. That we have the um, the whole first you know flyover scene in the in the uh, in the first movie, and then we get the entirety of the um, that that winning year of what sixty nine or something. Is this? Mm-hmm. I think it's not in the third movie. Yeah, that was definitely odd, um, for sure. <laughs> Someone's a Mets fan, I guess, in the Men in Black team. <laughs> Maybe it's Barry Sonnenfeld. Who knows? Maybe. So, with that being said, I think that's our transition. Are you ready to get into the time travel in the time travel series? <laughs> you what? Uh, Eighty minutes. Much like Men yeah. in Black. I think for we've been talking as long as it takes Men in Black Two to play out. Yes, exactly, exactly. Okay. So, Zach, I figured we would get to it immediately as we talk about Men in Black 3. There is a scene in this movie that is written for me, and it is the Andy Warhol scene. (laughs) When Bill Hader says, I'm so out of ideas, I'm painting soup cans, it it speaks to my soul, Zach. That was like I said the the I'd say the the second half of the third film is kind of good yeah, except that, for certain moments. That's where I wanted to know because you mentioned that earlier. That's where I wanted to know where where kind of the cutoff comes for you. Is it when when he goes back in time? Is it a little after he goes back in time? Where does that where does it turn into something a little more enjoyable for you? I would probably say probably once probably the Andy Warhol. Okay. Okay. Once you get to the factory and you get Griffin introduced, uh, Griffin's a fun character. Yes. And totally. I wish, I wish he, I know he's like he has a little bit of like a cameo at one point, like when we first go back to the sixties. Mm-hmm. But I wish he would again, like the first. I go God, like everything until Josh Brolin, I say is like an abject nightmare. Okay. Okay. Uh, so are you saying? Let me. I'm trying to phrase this the right way. Are you saying that one of the opening shots of a jiggling cake right next to Nicole Scherzinger's boobs is not the peak of the movie for you? <laughs> that scene legit. Okay, I'm so glad you mentioned that so early. That made me angry. It kind of made like, me. Angry I legit. Too, yeah. Like it made me so angry to the point where I'm just like, like fuck this movie. Like I was just like, I'm like, no. Like this is why I don't like this. I don't know if Rob knows this, but on the Blu-ray. The disc art is the cake. Really? Like, why? Yes. <laughs> it, 
because jiggling boobs is oh, Nicole Scherzinger. <laughs> yes. Remember Nicole Scherzinger that hasn't been like a topical name since 2006? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, okay, okay. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. So um, the, the Brolin stuff, I definitely think that's where the movie picks up. There is, to me, in that first act, you know, when you have the um, – in the present, I guess, you know, to put it that way, when Tommy Lee Jones is around, that stuff is definitely clunky to me. But I guess maybe as an overall type thing. The third one is certainly the movie I, of the three that I've seen the least because, you know, they weren't – it wasn't during my childhood. It's 2012. I did not see it in theaters. I think I saw it probably, you know, I found a copy of it, you know, after it came out or something like that. Uh, I remember the first time I watched it was, like, while sitting on a bed with, like, other people watching it on a laptop screen. Um, I think I caught it again maybe a few years later. For some reason I wanted to watch it or something like that. So this was really kind of the freshest one for me on this on this rewatch for this recording. And I was kind of pleasantly surprised about how much I enjoyed it. Um, I think that I, I thought it was going to be the worst of the three. Like, I, I think, you know, it kind of is my least favorite of the three. Um, but I thought it was going to be a lot worse than it was. But I'm, I'm with you that I loved the Griffin character. I found him so fascinating. I was shocked that it's played by Michael Stuhlbarg, who I've seen in, you know, the Coen Brothers stuff. Um, you know, very different from he's what Cy Feltz in season three of Fargo. And um, he's in A Serious Man. And I, I loved his, like, rambling dialogue. And I, I don't know, this, this movie kind of clicked with me a lot more than I expected it to. So this was kind of the, um, the, the oh, the little surprise for me for this, this recording. Now, I, I think in comparison to the first one, I know we're not trying to compare them too much because they're almost incomparable, but something that I wanted to bring up was I like also having watched all three movies. I think Boris the Animal is the best villain out of the three. And maybe to keep the second one out of it, you know, Serlina is the villain in the second one. I think Boris the Animal, or just Boris, if you want to get there, is is actually menacing. Like, I never found the bug in the first one very menacing comparatively. You know what I'm saying? No, I... Boris is hard because he's part of the, what would you even call it, prelude. Yes. and But we don't really see him, like, he's almost... He's almost too powerful because, like, we see him just basically single-handedly break out of jail. Mm -hmm. um, he pretty much destroys an entire prison on the moon. <laughs> yes. And then he, does, yeah. <laughs> then he doesn't really become a presence again, like a physical presence in the story until they're at Shea Stadium in 1969. He kidnaps Griffin. Yes. He is pretty much a non-character for over an hour in the film. Yeah, he, he really is just more of the um, the idea of, like, a looming problem. Because he's not yeah. in it, he's just talked about for sure. Exactly. So like we know, like we know he's powerful, but he's not really given anything to do. And then really, his only moment where he's allowed to kind of like do, like where he's the sole focus of the sequence, is him just growling at himself. Yes. Yes. Which I have to say, uh, some, I, I kind of like that scene, at least in the sense of like a character thing where he's like, I, his whole plan is like, I'm going to go back in time. I'm going to make sure that Kay doesn't shoot off the arm of my other self. I'm going to kill Kay, that, that whole thing. And, you know, to, to an extent, he succeeds before Will Smith goes back in time. But when we get to see it in the past, like when they, they encounter each other, I kind of like the idea that, you know, he goes to younger Boris and he's like, you know, look at this. Like, this is what we need to prevent. And younger Boris is like, that wasn't me. That was you who made those mistakes. You're the idiot. And he's just like, he's he's so self-centered. I don't know. That touch was kind of nice to me. I, I like what? that they you didn't know, immediately that team up. Me? Yeah, what? No, that Looper. It's the entire oh. diner scene from Looper where it's like Joseph Gordon-Levitt being yelled at by Bruce Willis. Yeah. It's literally that. Yeah, I didn't it's, think about that. It's, 
it's much less pretentious and very, very dumbed down. <laughs> yes, yes. But it is literally that sequence. Mm, mm-hmm. And it's weird because this movie came out like, what, two months before Looper? Yeah, Looper was around this time. Okay, yep, another time travel movie. There you go. <laughs> but, I mean, in terms of, you know, maybe once again, and this is something I'll bring up again when we discuss Men in Black 2, all these big villains, you know, the bug in the first one, Serlina in the second one, Boris the animal in this one, they all have their final forms, you know? Like, the bug is a big bug at the end. Serlina is a bowl of snakes. Um, and Boris the animal, very unfortunately, I think we only get to see his true form for, like, what, 10 frames or something before he gets blown away. I think Boris the Animal's, like, true form where he's, like, giant face hugger or something is the only one that is, like, looks like a final boss. Like, I don't really like the look of the bug when he's not Vincent D'Onofrio at the end of the first movie. Like, because he just is kind of, like, you know, a, a, bi- a big bug, you know? Um, Serlina, like I said, is a, a bowl of ramen, bowl of snakes, that type of thing. But uh, Boris, actually, when he sheds his skin and... Even when he's not in that final form, I love that he has, like, claws around his eyes, those weird, like, goggle things that he has. I don't know. There's something really, really interesting, visually interesting to me about Boris in general. And and I appreciated that in the in the final installment of these three. Well, Boris is fun. Like, he's fun to look at. Like, there's, like, he's he's off-putting but not hard to look at. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, he, he's probably the definition of any schlocky B-movie villain. Like, he's meant to, like you said, be a force mm-hmm. that's... Oh, I, oh, what's the word? Like, funneling the plot? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, no, I, I like his design. I think he's like, I think he's a fun design, something that this franchise kind of is probably most known for now. Sure. Um, no, he's definitely, I, I wish there was more of him in this movie. I wish he had yes. more of a presence. I wish we had more of a chance to interact with him. He's He really doesn't interact with J or K in any sort of meaningful way outside mm-hmm. of just generic fight sequences in the third act. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Even at the um, with the motorcycle chase, you know, that he just kind of disappears at the end of it because he gets away, you know, exactly. And um, yeah, but I, I'm with you. I wish we saw more of him. I wish he had the, um, the, the final four moment like the bug and Serlina get in the previous two movies. But he, like I said, he gets blown away almost immediately. Um, because then they set that up because, you know, Jay is like, when you see Boris, kill him, don't arrest him, that type of thing. So he just kills him immediately. So I wish we had more of him. And I, I like the idea that he has a face hugger living in his hand, you know, and he just kind of can summon it and stuff like that. I think that's a neat idea. <laughs> oh, no, definitely. Like, no, like I say he's probably one of the best parts in this. It's just weird to think that, like, like we're told, like, oh, like, pretty much the catalyst for the entire events of the film are like, okay, he goes back in time, does basically a Biff Tannen, mm-hmm. and it's like, okay, you think of Back to the Future Part 2, like, the whole idea of, like, Marty trying to, like, maneuver around all this is such a big part of it, and yet, like, um, Boris, too, or I guess Boris, future Boris, yep. doesn't really show up until, what, the beginning of the third act? Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Because, like because Will it's Smith peculiar. goes, yeah, absolutely, uh, but Will, because Will Smith, what, goes back in time like a day before Boris is supposed to get there, so like the movie builds in that they don't need Boris for that whole setup of when, you know, he has to meet young K and stuff like that, meet Roland and, and you know, get but him up to us, speed. But you would think it would give us even more room to interact with like OG Boris. Sure, no, I'm with you. I'm with you completely. And I mean, what we get a few scenes. Uh, oh well, one when he kills Roman the Fabulous, and he um, there's that scene on the motorcycle where he drives up to the Flower Child, who's played by Barry Sonnenfeld's daughter, and you know, um, he has the weird laugh and stuff like that with the with the teeth, and that's really it. You know, we don't get really anything else except him on Coney Island. Yeah, no, I said like you honestly, 
almost a non-character in one regard. Yeah. Because it seems like almost it's a race against time. Is it's like becomes the antagonist. Sure, absolutely, absolutely, and um, and I mean, okay, on on the topic of the time travel, it is very much just a they go back in time and they can you know do stuff and then come back and it's a little handheld device in this movie, so you know it's a it's a step up from a from a watch you know from clock stoppers, but Will Smith has it the whole time. Uses it what three times? One to jump to the nineteen sixty nine. Then he uses it to beat Boris um, by learning his pattern and stuff like that. And then he uses it to return. I mean, the the idea of the time travel in this, I think, like we were saying earlier, is that it really doesn't rely on it too heavily. And I think that's kind of like not really a MacGuffin or something like that. It's just a, a tactic they use to say, okay, we want to do these things back in the past. How do we get there? Time travel. Just throw it out. Everybody gets it. Don't, one and done. That type of thing. You know what I'm saying? Oh, absolutely. Because that's probably one of my, probably my favorite element of this movie is the fact that like time travel is a plot device. Mm-hmm. It does not need to be the entire crux of everything. Yes. Yes. And that's something that like back to the future, I guess kind of ruined for any sort of time traveling stories is that it always has to be the, the exclusive focal point. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. And like you said, it's just a means of getting the characters from point A to point B. Yes. Yes. And you know, I know with clock stoppers, it was the time dilation. Like we talked about, this is like some true time travel. It's that, that sci-fi idea of, Oh, take my physical presence in this time. Now it's that same physical presence in this different time. That, that idea. The the interesting thing though I think is how they they visualize it. Now of course we get the time the literal time jump sequence where Will Smith has to jump off that building and um this is something I wanted to pick your brain on. Uh did the time jump sequence make you angry? <laughs> Not really. Okay, okay. Cuz I I think it's for the most part I think it's fantastic. I I don't like him, you know, losing the device and him like snatching it with his feet and stuff. Very very much like um Tobey Maguire losing the ring in the fight with James Franco in Spider-Man 3, which I know I said back then is real goofy. But then the whole thing where he's like as he's falling, he's going through different time periods. I love the little bit about how he's falling next to the suicidal stock market people and when during the Wall Street crash. I love that he stops right before the ground, you know, very, very Hudsucker proxy, and then he snaps back up. I thought that was very visually inventive, and I kind of wanted more of that type of visual inventiveness. Oh, I no, that was fun. Like, the, again, like the, the, the Wall Street people, like, committing suicide, that was very – I forgot about yeah, that. Like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> no, and that whole sequence, even with the whole him, like, him dropping the clicker remote, you could – like, this. remember, this was also right still in the wake of, like, when 3D was the biggest thing ever. Yes, that's right. So that clearly was a, a scene that was designed for that, which probably would be fun to see that in 3D. If, if if it's available, probably it's got a 3D Blu-ray release somewhere. Sure, um, sure. No, it was neat. Like that sort of stuff. That, again, like I said, I wish. Again, that's the moment in the movie where the, it actually started to become like an actual movie. Yes, it wasn't just yeah. like, like like resting on the laurels of the Men in Black franchise. Definitely, and I think I'm I'm with you. While I while I said I did enjoy this movie, um, I am with you that that first act when everything with Tommy Lee Jones it didn't click with me because I think you know watching these three in a row where the first one you know you got to get the team up you know you have to get a you know Will a Will Smith up to speed Agent J up to speed the second one of course they bring Tommy Lee Jones back you get more of that chemistry and that whole that movie's like a scavenger hunt basically and then in this third one it kind of comes out of nowhere where you know tommy lee jones is just like pissed off like agent k is just angry and there's that whole thing where he's like you know jay you're suspended for two weeks and he's like you're gonna suspend me four weeks and that type of stuff and it really kind of comes out of nowhere and i i 
the chemistry's not really there that it was in those other movies. It takes until Brolin comes into play, like, um, you know, when Agent J and Agent K, young Agent K, kind of just fall back into their teamwork. And while it's not a great scene, they fall back into their teamwork with the guy with the uh, bowling ball for a head, or they use his head as a bowling ball. Like, at least that chemistry's there, or the chemistry I know and love from Men in Black. But that whole first act of Tommy Lee Jones, I'm like... I'm like, it, it's, it seems so unearned relative to the earlier movies. Like, they always set up that Tommy Lee Jones, Agent K is grumpy. But this one, he seems like, you know, I mean, there's even that line, which I did laugh at, where what, Will Smith is like, you know, nobody wants your nasty-ass noodles, woo. And Tommy Lee Jones says, you're a piece of shit, woo. Woo, uh, he and I are having issues in our relationship right now, but you shouldn't have to suffer for that. Thank you, Jay. So if you don't like getting fish slapped, I'm going to need you to keep to our agreements. Earth people get earth fish. Real Earth fish. Uh, on behalf of my pathetic self and worthless children, you stay. Allow me most honorable benefit of serving you favorite noodles, Kay? Don't nobody want none of your nasty ass noodles, Will. You're a piece of shit, Will. Shrimp and bok choy. We're gonna be here for a while. And and it's like he's a little too angry. <laughs> Unearned unearnedly so. Well, he's he's outright hostile. Mm-hmm. Like there's really like it's just he's being mean. Absolutely. And I don't know why nobody like like it's it, it's unearned meanness. Like yes. you wouldn't mind if it was like they could have even thrown a line of dialogue in there, being like, "Oh, it's the 40th anniversary since blah 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 happened." Like since like the like the moon launch, you wouldn't mind that at least to give it some resonance to what late comes later. Yeah, yeah. It's just he's just a jerk. Yeah, and I mean, I feel like they could have solved it, like you said, with the it's some anniversary or something. But if from what I remember, you know only watching this a few days ago, but, you know, jamming them all in there. I They could have even included a line of dialogue because, you know, like you said, the, the opening of the movie is Boris breaking out of prison, or Lunar Max, and then, you know, it goes down to Earth, and you see the, um, what, they're investigating the, uh, the, the ship or whatever, the escape pod. Something has landed on Earth. They could have even said something like, you know, all the men in black and Agent J are like, well, what is this? Where's this from? That type of thing. And Kay is like, it's Boris. He's back for me. I'm. That's why I'm going to be an asshole. But I feel like it, it's almost like pulling teeth. The movie's trying to pull the teeth, and it takes its time for Will Smith to learn anything about Boris, if I'm remembering the order correctly. Um, and it's just like, yeah, you could have you could have solved this a lot quicker, you know. And we could have had some, like you said, it would have made the meanness and hostility earned more, and I would have appreciated that. But instead, I think Barry Sonnenfeld falls down onto or falls back on, oh, let's have a shootout you know, in the Chinese food restaurant with just some crazy alien-looking people. But it's nothing like in the earlier movies where, um, once again, the second one, you have the stuff where it's like, okay, he's a Balchinian, and it's like, okay, we get the joke right off the bat. It's not a great joke, but it's a joke. Here it's just like, oh, we put some makeup on some people and they're shooting in the place. That's it. You know? Oh, yeah. And then, oh, no, I no, I absolutely agree with you. And I think I wonder how much of this as well is also the massive reshoots. Mm, absolutely. Because, like, you even have that moment, too, where, like, Kay calls Jay, and he even makes a joke about, like, Jay sitting there, like, playing his video games, which yes. is, again, weird. Jay and has we've a never... giant framed picture of Frank the Pug in his apartment for some reason. I thought that was very strange. <laughs> you know, it's not mentioned that Frank was dead, I'm guessing. Well, um, he's in International. <laughs> So. Oh, okay. So he's not okay. So he's not dead. Okay, yeah, go figure. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? Um. So, but no. The thing about it is that I think there must have been, must have been a different second and third act. Okay. Because you even have the moment where after Jay hangs up on him, Tommy Lee Jones like opens up the wall behind him. It's the room of guns from the second movie, yep. and then he like holds the gun out, like waiting almost for someone to like 
enter the room. Yeah, it's like he's waiting I, I, for Boris because I think he knows that the people in the – I think the implication is that the people in the Chinese – the aliens in the Chinese food restaurant were from Boris or something. Oh, yeah, because Boris you know, attacks them at the end of that scene and, and Jay saves him by opening a door sure. or some shit like but that. I yeah, think, yeah. But, like, but even think about how that scene plays out. Like you have him – like he, Tommy Lee Jones gets the gun. He's sitting like in his lounge chair. I don't even want to call it a lounge chair. Mm-hmm. Um, and like it's almost as if he's waiting for someone to like open a door. Absolutely. Like it's like – like it's, it's something like that. And it just he gets sucked into like a time warp with a special effect. Yeah, it's like I think something else was going to happen there. And okay. I think the second and third act became so wildly different after that like three month hiatus they took while they were shooting. I think a different movie was shot than the one that that scene in the first act was crafted around. Okay, I'm I'm glad I'm glad we got to this because this is something I wanted to pick your brain on because I think you have a better understanding of this than I do. But and it's also interesting. I think this is a little interesting tale from what I found in my research. The, both of these interviews that I'm going to mention are from 2012, so when this movie came out. And in regards to Men in Black Three, uh, Barry Sonnenfeld said to an interview with Empire Magazine, he said this was the quote: "We knew starting, uh, sorry, we knew starting the movie that we didn't have a finished second or third act." Was it responsible? The answer is, if this movie does well, as I think it will, it was genius. If it's a total failure, then it was a really stupid idea. But just to reiterate that first sentence in that quote, we knew starting the movie that we didn't have a finished second or third act. Okay. Sometime later, after this interview was published, uh, he does an interview, Sonnenfeld does an interview with uh, Billy Donnelly, who goes by, like, the infamous Billy the Kid or some shit from Ain't It Cool News, and... The interviewer, Billy Donnelly, brings up this notion. Like, he basically cites the Empire Magazine article, and he says something along the lines, or the question he asks is something along the lines of, you know, knowing that you didn't have the finished script, but you started making the movie, you know, how did how much, like, studio interference, or maybe not interference, but how much did the studio have to say about it? How much did you have to say about, you know, this hiatus? Because I think that was well-known, like you said already. And Barry Sonnenfeld... Uh, or, or the interview in general, gets a little heated. Barry Sonnenfeld definitely goes off on a huge rant that I'm not going to read all of. Um, it, it's a it's a, or an interview you can read online, of course, through Ain't It Cool News. I think the title is something like, you know, Interview with Barry Sonnenfeld Gets Heated or something along those lines. But basically, in this second interview, Barry Sonnenfeld says this. He says, quote, Every movie has a complete script when they go into production. Changes are made on every script, except one that I worked on. While one shoots, but you could not ever start a movie without having an entire script. How do you budget it? How do you know if you're ever going to make it? How do you know how many days you need to budget it or when you need actors? And then after some other stuff he says, he also goes on to say, So the only thing I want to say is I don't understand why this is a story since it doesn't affect the viewer's viewing of the movie. This is That's when things got a little heated. And then he also goes on to say, quote, Well, the movie's out, so now you get the chance to say the movie is in trouble because it stinks or the movie isn't in trouble and you should go see it. So I don't understand why the process of getting to the final result is a story once you have the final result. That's what confuses me. So I know I threw some quotes at you, Zach, but what I got from this, this research or these interviews is that, one, you know, he says, Sonnenfeld says, we knew starting the movie, whatever he means by starting the movie, they didn't have a finished second or third act. And then he goes on to say in a different interview, he's like, well, no, it was finished, but there might, it might not have been fleshed out completely, but it was finished, and he gets very aggressive about it. So 
do you think this is something of like Barry Sonnenfeld backtracking and saying like this is not something I want to talk about and I'm going to get aggressive in this interview? Do you think that you know the the reshoots were something he was ashamed of or I don't know how, how do you what do you think about any of this that I've thrown at you? I think what happened was because like, I remember this like I this was like a big thing. This was back when like, I used to tell Rob. Like back when Twitter used to be fun, like for like movie news and scoops <laughs> and stuff. Like this is like like prime evidence of that. Sure. Because I remember like hearing that like it went into like, oh god, like hiatus for like three months. Like Will Smith had like this ridiculously big trailer that had something like in, in like a gym, screening oh, yeah. room. I remember that it like, took it up like, like a whole New York City block or something like yes, that. Yeah, like, like, insane. Like like the opulence. And it was the whole idea that like. They were supposed to resume shooting, I think, after the holidays. Again, like two, maybe three-week hiatus. Mm-hmm. And Will Smith refused because he didn't feel the script was up to, like, the standards that he deemed, like, necessary. Um, and that's what it just kept dragging. It was costing the studio something, like, ridiculous amounts of money, something like $5 million a week or something. Um, <laughs> just to keep, like, again, because everybody had to be – you have to pay people. Like, yep. you just, like if you're going to put on a hiatus, it's not like everybody gets to go home. Like, basically, it's like what happened with the Richard Stanley thing. It was like – you're just paying people to sit there. Um, and that was a thing. So I don't know. I think it was – I think Barry Sonnenfeld I think kind of knew at that point that his career was over. Um, I think Men in Black was designed to be like his hurrah. Like, oh, man, like I still got it. Like Will Smith. Like, sure. like, like oh, God, treasured franchise. And I think probably the re- by the time the film was probably coming out, he realized it was not going to be that for him. Like this was it. The, cr- the career was over. He mm-hmm. was no longer larger-than-life filmmaker Barry Sonnefeld. And, and I think it was more just kind of either washed up or has been. And I think he probably got just probably started lashing out because people probably kept bringing that up to him. Like, how did you yeah. lose control of this? Like, you're Barry Sonnefeld. Like, you already have Wild Wild West to your name. You were stuck making a Robin Williams like kiddie comedy. Mm-hmm. Like, is this what your career has kind of ended up at? And I think probably I would imagine Will Smith probably blames it on Barry Sonnefeld, I guess, because I think Will Smith takes no culpability in anything. Sure. Um, so he probably was probably lashing out out of just fear of what his career was becoming. OK. If I had to guess, just just this is my own definition of a by a bystander on the fringes. That's probably what I would assume this all this was. That's kind of this a similar sense that I was getting specifically with that one of the the quote I read where he says he's like I don't understand why this is a story you know why are you asking this it doesn't affect how people view the movie and it's like well Barry you're talking to somebody who's reporting and interviewing you to get information about behind the scenes about the process of making movies like it's not it's not an interview where it's like you know about the movie it's about all the stuff behind the scenes and it's like how do, how do like why it seems like he's coming at it from a way where he's like you know almost aggressively purposefully not understanding that where he's he's saying it's like oh my god why are you asking me this and it's like it's because it doesn't matter you know it seems a little uh, hostile to use that word again so i'm kind of getting the same the same idea for sure Mm-hmm. No, I agree. Yeah, it's it's. I I wish I could explain it. I don't know enough about his career to really, really do a deep dive. Sure. Um, but I imagine he probably was disillusioned by the fact that this was not going to be his rebound. Yes, and that's a good point. I didn't think about that, but you're absolutely right. Because what I mean, I think RV is 2006, so that's a that's six years between these two mm-hmm. movies. Yep. And then and then what I mean, you know, he gets nine lives, and and that's uh proves he does not have nine lives i think um but but yeah it was just so weird to me that i saw i've kind of found that contradictory nature between these two things and 
I mean, just just the idea that he would get so aggressive where he's like, you know, of course we got to finish script. And it's like, it's like, well, what does finished mean to him? Because he even said like in that Empire interview where he's like, we didn't have a finished second or third act. Does that mean that they just didn't have parts of the movie? Well, no, I, I think it is what he said where it's like they probably had something, but they knew it wasn't the 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 answer or the the best scenario or something like that leading to that hiatus leading to those rewrites and reshoots and things of that nature did they you know improve it from what it was maybe we have no idea what it was originally but but i don't know i just found it so strange and you're right i also don't know too much about barry sonnenfeld uh, in his career and personally and things like that um but but yeah i i was kind of weird i from everything i've i've found is that you know um the little I've read, you know, is that he kind of, you know, just has very much like laid back and stuff like that personality or working experience. And this just to hear this aggressiveness was very surprising. But I mean, you know, it could be the case that he's always fighting with people. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, I really, like I said, I don't know. I would just imagine that he probably realized that the gravy train or at least the rebound yeah. Was not going to happen. That's a that's a good point for sure. And then of course, um, you know, he has. I don't think he has anything to do really with international. I don't even know who directed international off the top of my head. But yeah, I thought that was I thought that was interesting. Um, and and uh, and such. So I wanted to bring it up. Now, so I guess we have to get to it. Back to the time travel, I should say. More of the um the the semi retconning this movie does. Um, I remember at the time, uh, watching this movie. I remember, you know, when I saw it the first time, I remember maybe in the years since talking to some people about it here or there, that there's definitely some disdain for the fact that, you know, Agent K has known uh, Jay his whole life. Or it was there at Cape Canaveral when um, Luke Cage gets shot, that type of thing. I, what do you think about this? This little kind of, well, well, one, since we've now we've discussed the first movie, what do you think about the fact that kind of Kay's character from the first movie does not matter to this third movie because there's no mention of his, you know, sweetheart, the woman that he goes and gets neuralized for. It's replaced with his little love affair with O. And then what do you what do you think about the fact that it turns out that, you know, he was there, he met Jay when he was a young kid and that type of thing and still knows about it because that last scene in the diner definitely indicates that Jay shows him the watch type of thing. And he's like, you know, these are the mysteries that the universe doesn't want you to know about or whatever the hell he says. Um, that, like I said, the, the cute little retcon d- didn't bother me. Um, it's, it's a nice way to put a bow on it. Like, it, it adds some layer of emotional schmaltz that doesn't bother me. Almost like a, like a, oh God, like a glaze almost. Like, it's <laughs> sure. it's not the worst thing. Um, the thing that I, it, it's, God, it's gonna sound such a nitpick, but it just drove me nuts. Um, why is it, this is Cape Canaveral during the moon landing launch. Yeah, what, Apollo Why, 11, I think, is what it is? Yeah. yeah. Why is it that, oh, God, what's Luke Cage's title? What's his ranking? Oh, he's, I think he's a colonel. I think, okay. I think he's a Why colonel. Why is it that the colonel in charge of the Apollo moon landing mission has their Jeep parked on the edge of the beach with their son in it, <laughs> right where the weird little gondola escape pod is. I thought the same I thought the same thing. And my only rationalization is that he was like, you know, oh, I'm gonna bring my son to work so he can see this historic event. But I don't think that would happen in the case where he's supposed to be working security. <laughs> You're absolutely right. Like if he had a day off or something, it would make That's more why, sense. Like, and he wouldn't be no... anywhere near it. He'd be in the uh, the viewing stands, which are exactly. far enough away to not get you know incinerated by the rocket blast. 
Exactly. Like I, like I could not get over that. I'm just like, like how lazy is that? Like you couldn't think yeah. of any other way for that to happen to like make something like that occur. Like you couldn't have done anything. Like I, I beyond, beyond lazy. And then the weird thing is that like earlier in that sequence, cause we see the little like dugout, like with the, the door mm -hmm. And there's no Jeep there. Like, so what? <laughs> Did Baby J just drive it there? Definitely. It's <laughs> like, no, like that, like, again, cute little moment, but that just took me out of it. I'm with you. I had that same thought. Um, regardless of that, I do want to say that on this rewatch, I did not have any problem with the whole thing of that, you know, K was there. Um, when Jay was young, that that whole idea. I mean, it it also kind of fits a little better with how much they don't acknowledge from the first movie about Kay's life. It does kind of fit where it kind of retcons the idea, like we said, when you know Kay is like, "Oh, I'm going to recruit Will Smith because he's fast." Well, now there's a little something more there. You know, I don't think it adds too much more, but at least there's something a little more there. <laughs> yeah, no, like I said, that that it doesn't bother me. It just means that, like, okay, he kept an eye on him for the rest of his life because yeah. he felt responsible in the death of his father. Um, no. So, like, no, it's a cute moment. I think the, again, the, again, it goes back to even, like, oh, God, Ray Skywalker. It's, like, idea A, execution D minus. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Um, I did, I did check the casting, and uh, Mike Coulter, uh, sorry, Luke Cage, is a colonel. So now that you've asked me and made me think about it, I think that we should have a, a fan edit of that final scene with young agent jay where you know he's like where'd my daddy go is he coming back and after in the movie of course k neuralizes little young jay and says your daddy was a hero he should neuralize jay and then go the colonel i say you he did <laughs> I say colonel you sanders what <laughs> yes do you mind i paid three hundred and eighty dollars for this flight three hundred and eighty dollars Geez, I hope they kissed you first. This is my fourth trip today. Just this morning, I went to Kentucky. Wait, 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 wait a second. You're telling me I flew all the way to Kentucky to get some of your fried chicken, and and the colonel isn't even working today? He we he did. What? I say he did. Is Mr. Sanders in? What wrong with you? I say you he did. The Colonel! The Colonel! <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, on this rewatch, I, I had no problem with that little, that little bit, where I think I had more of a problem when I watched it the first time because it comes out of nowhere, I think. At least from what I knew of Men in Black back in the day. No, it's like I said, it's, um... Like, like a lot of that stuff, like, I, I it's neat, it's cute. Um, like, like even James Brol, uh, not James Brolin, Josh Brolin. Is it like, I used to, I always loved Josh Brolin as an actor. It's not until like he really leaned into the comic book nonsense where I'm just like, oh God, um, like we're going to become one of those actors now. Sure. I always liked him, like whether it be No Country for Old Men, yeah. um, Sicario, like he, again, we talked about how great he is in that. Yep. Fuck yep. it all. Yes. Um, <laughs> no, he, I, I always liked him as an actor, and this is really no different. He, he he's a really good character actor. Yes, and um, and it's a shame that the only reason why people really kind of know who he is now is because of playing Grimace yeah. in the Avengers movies. <laughs> yes, exactly. I'm glad you I'm glad you tripped up and said James Brolin because it made me remember that there <laughs> is an episode of Law and Order's Vu where James Brolin plays an astronaut. <laughs> 
Look at that. It's all connected. Um, I but no, I, you, on the real top, quick about, oh yeah, yeah. Real quick about Josh Brolin. Did you know that like he only does like acting is like a thing that like quote get out of the house? No, like I did he's not. like a legit like day trader and like he's made like his fortune off of like day trading. Oh, okay. and he just does this because like almost like for recreation. Like he doesn't do this again. It's like any sort of money. It doesn't hurt. Yeah, but. Yeah, apparently, like, he legit is – this is, like, more of a passion for him than anything else. And he, like, legit made his fortune as, like, somebody who huh. invests properly, like, in stocks and stuff. Oh, I did not know that. Okay, okay, right on. Cool. Good yeah, it's, little things, it's a weird fact I know about him for some reason. I don't think I've ever had a chance to bring <laughs> up outside of the stupid comic book movies in Sicaria. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, oh, yes, yes, good old Sicario, absolutely. One of the uh, one of the new detectives aside, Anthony Anderson, in the return of the original Law and Order, everybody, yes, that happened. Is uh, Jeffrey Donovan? He's one of the new detectives. He's the guy in what one of the Sicario movies who um, is says, you know, did you do you hear about what the terrorist did to Fiji? Terrorists leave Fiji alone. It's that guy. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to get DOD to let me look into this conspiracy to sink Fiji. Fiji, yeah. leave Fiji alone, terrorists. Yeah, exactly. Figure a month or two over there, we'll get it all worked out. But no, I mean, I I did want to talk about um, Brolin in this movie. I love his Tommy Lee Jones impersonation. Like, it might be perfect casting, I think, just to, for him as young Tommy Lee Jones. Like, the voice, the diction, the look, I loved it. I thought it fit perfectly. Yeah, no, like, oh no, like, it's, it's a spot-on take on yeah, Tommy Lee Jones. Absolutely. Spot on. Oh yeah, and I was I was very surprised. I, that's something I didn't really remember. Um, but uh, it was it was great. I I also oh okay. Speaking of the time travel, I did a little I did a little freeze frame Zach because we get to see um what the um uh, his name's Michael Chernis, whoever he plays the guy who like sells or peddles the time travel wares in this movie. Uh, he uh he has the logbook or the ledger of all the times people like time travel or time jump or things like that. And I I freeze framed when we get that one shot of the book because I was like, okay, you know who's going to be in here? What Easter eggs are we going to get? None of the names jump out to me, unfortunately. Um, none of the dates really jumped out at me except for one. <laughs> Somebody jumped to May third, nineteen seventy, which is the day before this Kent State shooting when the National Ohio National Guard shot all those Kent State students. I don't know if that's why they jumped back, but there is an observations column, so I would like to read off what happens to people that time travel. Apparently, so it seems like you know when when they come back because there's a return date in the ledger as well that this guy makes some notes about what happened to these people, and there's not too many, so soaking wet upon arrival so somebody came back real wet somebody came back with elephantitis of the hands somebody came back with lost sense of smell uh somebody came back with eyes bulged out a little bit somebody came back with their toes having grown two inches could you imagine your toes were two inch two inches is not negligible for your fucking toes like that's no. that's weird as hell um this one i think this one might be my favorite somebody came back with a quote bad case of wandering spleen <laughs> <laughs> um, somebody came back and kept throwing up in their mouth somebody came back with warts all over their face somebody came back with extreme flatulence I think they were running out of ideas there uh, and then the last one is somebody came back with and, and it's as is written in the ledger hair grew six inches dot 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 
everywhere. <laughs> so I thought that was pretty fun. I was hoping there'd be another Easter egg with like somebody jumping back in time from one of the other movies, but it didn't happen. But I, I like the little the little um, record keeping of the uh, of the time travel guy, um, Jeffrey Price. That's his name in the movie, played by Michael Chernis, who I had to look this up. We saw he was the tinkerer in Spider Man Homecoming. He was like yep. um, uh, Michael yep. Keaton's tech yep. guy. I w- I was watching it and I was like. I was like, of course I know Michael Chernis. Um, he is uh, Sonny Carisi, ADA Sonny Carisi's brother-in-law in SVU. Um, but I was like, we just saw him in something. Um, speaking of things I didn't remember in this movie, totally forgot that Will Arnett, Agent AA, is Will Smith's partner in the altered timeline at the beginning of the movie. Totally forgot about that. And I guess that's another thing I wanted to pick your brain on since you said you, you were angry about the first third of this movie. What did you think about the whole, like, you know, semi up it's not too bad i think but semi uphill battle for will smith to realize that the timeline has been changed with emma uh, emma thompson right um like i said it, it's kind of at that point the movie's at least slowly transitioning into better stuff okay. so sure it, it, it's still painful like anything with will arnett just makes me want to just like put an ice pick through my ear <laughs> sure. um but but no like it's it's clunky like the chocolate milk thing like like I'm, I'm kind of shocked that it wasn't like I need a Slurpee, so it was like a tie-in with like Seven oh, Eleven. Like I'm kind of shocked yeah. that there wasn't like some obligatory tie-in, and not generic. So no, I uh, like again, it, it's clunky. We've all been there before. Like oh, I sense something's wrong, but I know we want nobody else does. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then like she slaps him, and she's like, it's either one or two things. It's the I, it, it's the either. Well, I don't even know what she says. The so and so, so and so. There's yeah, some type of tick, and she's like, you could die at any moment. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, it's worse. And she slaps him and she's like, damn it, it's not the tick. Not the tick? Like, it's worse? <laughs> and it's like, oh my God. Again, like, it's so pedestrian. Sure. Like, they should just have him, like, slip on, like, a pile of, like, alien, like, like crap. And, like, his face gets in it and, like, there's doo-doo on him. Like, <laughs> like it should be that. Like, like I, the whole time while I was watching, I thought of that Chappelle show moment where, like, Dave Chappelle is, like, telling us, about, like, oh, yeah, now that I'm famous, like, all these famous rappers are hitting me up. They're like, hey, Dave, it's Snoop. I want you to be in my new video. I want you to be walking out and you slip on some doo-doo. <laughs> and, like, like, that's what it feels like. It's, like, the most pedestrian thing you can do to get a rise out of, like, your audience. Sure. And I'm just like, like oh, it is funny she slapped will smith oh isn't even funnier that now but it's not even the most serious thing got her to do it's like please stop please stop (laughs) but it's like i hear you i hear you like like i said there's moments like that are just so painfully pedestrian but at the same time though you also get the funny like andy warhol moments with bill Hader, and it's like okay at least there are those brief glimpses of like originality Sure. Slightly. Sure. <laughs> Slightly. No, no. I mean, yeah, like I said, the, the Andy Warhol scene was written for me. That fucking line when he's like, if I didn't have the D'Onofrio quote from the first movie, my, I would have totally said at the start of this episode, and I'm running out of ideas on painting soup cans. I fucking <laughs> love that line so much. And he's like, hey, you got to get me out of here. You got to fake my death. <laughs> <laughs> like, that is wonderful. Um, and I, I will I will go to bat that, you know, the best Andy Warhol, uh, somebody playing Andy Warhol is Bill Hader uh, because I love, I love that joke so goddamn much um but no i mean to get back when you said that scene you know and that whole thing at the factory when the movie starts moving i think that you know the movie actually the movie literally picks up speed with the griffin character with how fast he's talking with how much like information he's giving and stuff like that about 
I mean, maybe another thing to mention is this is our time travel series. Not only do we have the time, the physical time travel of you know physically getting Will Smith back to a different time, but we also have what what do they call him? Um, a fifth dimensional being, um, an Arcanian. And, uh, you know, he can see all these different universes and stuff like that. That's such a fun idea. And they play with it so fantastically. I mean, I, I could totally see, you know, people getting annoyed with the Griffin character. I think wrongfully so. I think he's a lot of fun. And I'm glad you agree with me on that aspect. But I love the whole idea that he's always like, oh, unless it's the timeline where this happens. But in that case, we should do this and that the other thing. And then even when he gets kidnapped by Boris, he's like, when Boris is coming by on the motorcycle in Shea Stadium, he's like, you know... Um, he's like, oh, I forgot to, I forgot to see this one coming, or something along those lines. And it's like, oh, that's fun. It, even, even this crazy creature that has like this love for seeing all these different outcomes, and he has like these moments in human history. Even he is fallible, you know. And it, it's just, oh god, it's so good. <laughs> yeah, no, he's a fun character. Um, I kind of don't like how he looks with his hat on. Like that's kind of like off-putting, where he like the tendril head. Ooh, um, yeah, a little. Um, what's it? Uh, ex Machina with the when the. It's like oh, just yeah. the skin with like the it, here. It's nothing, you know. There's like an opening in his head, but in the ex machina of the Alicia Vikander robot, it's like almost the same design, but instead of empty space, it's like the metal plates or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm, no, I'm with that, you. That, yeah, that, that was a little icky. I'm like, Ugh, I don't like that. And like, and like the CGI isn't that good either. So his yeah. like face is flat. Yes, it just, looks. Ugh. It looks like he's wearing the weird like green screen cap or something, and you can tell it's keyed out, and it's like not. There's a few CGI moments in this that were a little wonky to me. Um, I'm with you there, absolutely. I'm like, I, I think I'm with you. I'm like, put the hat back on. Put the hat back on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, God. Um, oh God, oh God I, feel, I don't want to be the reference person, but, like, in going – okay, this is a weird reference, but I have to make it. Sure. Like, what's that moment from Scary Movie 2 where was it Marlon Wayans is, like, having sex with the demon with the weird face? And, like, we oh. cut back to, like, he, had, he puts, like, the paper bag on yeah, her head. Yeah, And she tries to take it off, and, he, and he's like, no, no, don't fuck it up. Yep. Don't fuck it up. Yep. <laughs> like, that's kind of what it feels like. Like, I like this character. Don't take your hat off. Like, don't fuck it up. Put it back on. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Even with Weird him in the uh, in the ending, like I mentioned earlier, you know, the first two have that, oh, there's something bigger going on here. And, um, you know, I, I wish we had another touch of that at the end of this movie, but I'm okay with the fact that, you know, um, like Jay and Kay reconcile at the very end in the diner, and then he's like, this is my new favorite moment in human history, unless this is the timeline where Kay forgets to leave a tip, and then it zooms out to, like, the asteroid, but then Kay leaves the tip, and it, like, you know, the asteroid gets hits a satellite or whatever and i'm like i'm like okay that's fine but i wish we had another notion of like how big things can be you know that that idea because i i mean the one at the end of the second one with the locker is fantastic yeah um but but no i mean i i definitely kind of can see some people saying griffin is annoying but i think the opposite i mean i if i haven't put the clip in already i think he's also i think he's also used sparingly like he's yeah, not yeah yeah it's it's not like the worms in part two that just like keep going on and on yes. and on with like their gas and stuff um no i i think he's he's used and i think he's also again he's a very what do you want to call it he's he's not cynical or jaded like that's the thing about all these movies every character is cynical and jaded yeah and it's and that's the thing i think is so refreshing about the josh brolin part of this movie is that it becomes very kind of it sheds that Mm -hmm, mm-hmm mm-hmm and that's where again, I, I, I again, I can't speak to Men in Black International, but if I had to guess, I would say they did not learn that. Le- they did not continue that lesson from the third film. I would imagine uh, Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson are probably very snide and jaded. 
Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think there. I think Tessa Thompson starts as you know more of the um the innocent wonder, but then kind of you know gets more jaded. Yeah, I. Jesus Christ, I remember so little of that movie, and I don't want to watch it ever again. Um, but but no, I mean, can we please talk real yeah, quick? Like, I, do feel, like, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but can I say my main memory from Men in Black International, which I've never seen, okay. is the fact like on the press tour for that movie, Liam Neeson was like, yeah, like. If if somebody like beat up and like like what did he say like if somebody like beat up and killed my wife of like a certain like ethnic persuasion like I would have murdered them and it was like what the hell where is it you remember that right yeah I forgot about that like it came out of nowhere everyone was just like what the hell like like where did this like it's like Liam Neeson what happened like what does this have to do with anything like like I'll tell you a story this is true I'm not going to use any names but I was away and I came back. And she told me she had been raped, but she handled the situation of the rape in the most extraordinary way. But my immediate reaction was, I asked, did, they, did she know who it was? No. What color were they? She said it was a black person. I went up and down areas with a cosh hoping I'd be uh, approached by somebody. I'm ashamed to say that. And I did it for maybe a week, hoping some black bastard would come out of a pub and have a go at me about something, you know, so that I could kill him. And it was out. it took me a week, maybe a week and a half to kind of go for that. And she said to me, where are you going? I said, I'm just going out for a walk, you know. Said, what's wrong? No, no, nothing's wrong. Fine. And it was horrible, horrible when I think back. But I did that. And I've never admitted that to it. I'm saying it to a journalist. God forbid. Holy shit. It's awful. But I did learn a lesson from it when I eventually thought, what the fuck are you doing, you know? And I come from a society, I grew up in Northern Ireland in the Troubles, and I, you know, I, I knew a couple of guys that died on hunger strike, and I had acquaintances that were very caught up in the Troubles. And I understand that need for revenge, but it just leads to more revenge and more killing and more killing. And, you know, Ireland, Northern Ireland is proof of that, you know. All, all the stuff that's happening in the world at the minute, the violence is proof of that, you know. So it's... Uh, so, but that's... Yeah, primal need, I, I understand, you, you can know. relate to that. Oh, God, I remember that? Like, I saw, like, what was, like, a week, like, like Liam Neeson was a racist. And then, like, it kind of just dissipated. and was like, yeah, yeah, like, like he plays a lion in, in, in a couple movies. We kind of yeah. like Liam Neeson. I don't know, maybe he thought His he daughter on... got kidnapped a few times. I was about to say, maybe he, was, he thought he was on the press tour for one of the Taken movies and thought he was still in <laughs> character or something, you know? And he's like... He's like, guys, I don't hate black people. It's Albanians. They kidnapped <laughs> my daughter, like, seven times now. Like, you try kidnapping, like, saving your daughter. You, too, would hate Albanians. Yeah. <laughs> that, oh, like, God. So surreal. So real. Oh, That's yeah. the main highlight for the Men in Black. International I remember film. him being horrible in International. Like, just so checked out. I mean, I think everybody's checked out in that movie. I mean, 
Oh, God, yeah. Rafe Spall's in that movie, and I'm just like, he's not selling dinosaurs, you know? Um, oh, God, yeah, that movie. Rose the Hat's in that movie. Oh, it's terrible. Oh, God. It's terrible. Oh, God. It's, it's terrible. Um, but, yeah, like I said, uh, I just wanted to highlight it because I love it so much. If I haven't put the clip in already, I will include it. The speech or the monologue that Griffin gives at Shea Stadium about, like, what miracles are and stuff, I love it, you know? Like, it just it, – it's so – like you said, he's not cynical. He's innocent. He's full of wonder. He's happy about, you know, seeing all these timelines and stuff. So this is how you see things. This is amazing. It's a gigantic pain in the ass. But it has its moments. Wait, this game doesn't happen till October. Well, it's always October and November and March. So many futures, and they're all real. Just don't know which one will coalesce. Until then, they're all happening. Like this one, it's my favorite moment in human history. All the things that had to converge for the Mets to win the World Series, they were in last place every single season until they won it all. You said you had a gift for it. That baseball, for instance, thrown for the last out of Game 5, manufactured in 1962 by the Spalding Factory of Chicopee, Massachusetts, was aerodynamically flawed due to the horse hide being improperly tanned because Sheila, the tanner's wife, left him for a Puerto Rican golf pro that Sunday. Do you, um, what, the gift? See, yeah. Oh, 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 yes, of course, in the box. Uh, it's the surprise. To protect the Earth, it's the shield. Shield. Arcanan Arknet. That's what you did. You put up the Arknet. How did I do that? When that ball is pitched to Davy Johnson, who only became a baseball player because his father couldn't find a football to give him for his eighth birthday, it hits his bat two micrometers too high, causing him to pop out to Cleon Jones, who would have been born Clara. A statistical typist if his parents didn't have an extra glass of wine that night before going to bed. A miracle is what seems impossible but happens anyway. But he's not, like, dumb innocent, you know? Or, I mean, you know, yeah, dumb innocent. He's not, like, comedically stupid or anything. He, he actually has some, some sense that's almost refreshing in these movies, for sure. I, I dig him. I love him. You know, and no, to, he's a fun character. To know that it's Michael Stuhlbarg that drives, that blows me away. At least from what I've seen, Michael Stuhlbarg. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I I was pleasantly surprised. But I I on rewatching this, but I I definitely pick up what you're putting down. Where it's just kind of like you know. Like, why was it made, like you said at the start? I think that's the question. It's like, you know, maybe you answered it with the Barry Sonnenfeld stuff that you brought up, is that, you know, he wanted it to be this big hurrah to get him back in good graces or whatever, and it just uh, it just didn't happen. And um, I don't think this movie was, like, very poorly received. I think it, what, it's the highest grossing of the three or something like that. But, yeah, I mean, you know, Men in Black 3, it's, it's there, and it's the last in the franchise. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, yeah. It'll be interesting to see. I didn't like the, in Men in Black 3, I didn't like the jetpack stuff to get to Cape Canaveral. I thought that was pretty goofy. Yeah. Um, that, because that just kind of comes out of nowhere. I did like the um, the big neuralizer in Men in Black headquarters where they put him in, like, the big centrifuge, Will Smith in the big centrifuge type thing. I thought that was interesting that they have, like, you know, they haven't refined the technology yet. They push it a little too far with the portable one with the battery pack at the end. Specifically, mm-hmm. though, I did enjoy that in the, the portable neuralizer, he has to, like, wire up the battery pack, and it makes the dial-up internet noise. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But that's the thing, though, is that, like, you, like, the thing that makes, like, again, like, it's, it's funny, but, like, clearly somebody during, like, sound design was just, like, what's a sound that's funny yeah. that people will recognize? Yeah. Internet dial-up. It's, like, it, it doesn't make sense. 
I'm with you there. I'm with you there. Absolutely. It's just that again. It's it's it's. Oh God! It's just. It's almost like a version of like a non sequitur of comedy. Like it's just there because like oh yeah, like it's irreverent. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. Also, in contrast to the first one, while I, I liked the uh, line where they say, you know, the men in black is kept afloat because we have the patent on uh, Velcro, microwaves, and liposuction, I was like, those are some crazy ideas. Like, I don't really know how, like, Velcro got invented. You know, I, I think there's some history with, like, you know, the microwave oven coming out of, you know, the, some of the research that, like, you know, the Germans did post-World War II and stuff like that. Um, I, I mean, liposuction just seems like somebody was like, well, fuck it. We got to find a way to get skinnier. But what do they do in this? movie the viagrans have a revolutionary yeah. new pill and i new was pill, like yeah. boo movie boo <laughs> like you were clever with like you know fucking like velcro microwaves and liposuction those are three incredibly different things nobody i'm doing i'm doing thumbs down over here just so you know so everybody knows Zach. but it's like those are three incredibly different things that come out of the wall it's like that's just like goofy for goofy's sake that's fine even though it's it's a fun line because they're like you know this is how we make our money you know that type of thing but then it's like everybody, everybody fucking knows what Viagra is. To call the race the Viagrans is fucking stupid. And you can't, you can't pick Viagra either because I think the, the story about Viagra is a well-known one that they were trying to make, you know, heart medication or blood pressure medication, yeah. and it turned out to give people boners. Like everybody knows that story. You can't turn that into an alien invention. Oh, God, it's so dumb. Like pick anything else. <laughs> See Alice. See Alice. <laughs> that would be better, at least, because people don't know the story, and it's a That's little more problem. obscure of a name. But they don't get the joke, the, the easy like joke cred. Yeah, people wouldn't know yeah, absolutely. I'm with you. I'm with you. What I did like, though, which of course Zach will have to know, I enjoyed. I, well, I don't like the implication that it's an alien because it is a wonderful real life creature. The blobfish in the first uh, act of the yes! movie. Yes! Love the blobfish. I love blobfish fish in general. I gave a presentation on blobfishes once in high school. Um, but, you know, I love the blobfish. I don't like, they, like I said, I don't like that it's an alien, but I do like we get to see one. <laughs> love the blobfish, Zach. <laughs> yes, Rob. I was there at Ground Zero when he discovered yes. the blobfish yes. back in high school. I was there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I'm with you. I'm, I, I mean, it's an interesting movie. I like. I remembered it relying more on time travel than it did, which I, I enjoy that uh, it didn't really, you know, come down to that. And uh, overall, I think once again, I think I'm just a sucker for the Men in Black trilogy, and you know, I guess then if there's nothing else you wanted to mention about well, the, well. oh, sure, sure. We gotta talk about the theme song for Men in Black Three. Oh yes, good. I'm glad you reminded me of the music. So, are you talking about the uh, the Pitbull Back in Time song? <laughs> okay, a it's not. I don't know who a Pitbull is. It's Peach Bowl, Mr. Like, that Worldwide. Is, yeah, Mr. <laughs> Sir. Oh, what was it? Uh, I was still saying Mr. Eight Four Five, but we know that's not right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know. What's the area code for Miami? I've not. Alexa, what's the area code for Miami? Here's something I found on the web. <laughs> According to wikipedia.org, area code 305 is the area code for all... 305! Yeah, Mr. 305. There okay, we go. Yep. The Alexa, Miami... shut up. <laughs> Alexa, play Cinemodities. <laughs> <laughs> You get, the, you, get the, you get what the revert? Oh God! What is that? The feedback sound all of a sudden? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, Mister Three Hundred Five. 
Peach Bowl. Um, yeah, but so I'm, I'm glad you reminded me of this because I think it was, yeah, before we started recording that I said that uh, when the end credits for Men in Black 3 started playing, of course, I always watch the credits for everything we discuss um, to either pick up names and stuff like that or to, you know, see if there's a post credit scene or just to, like, let it run while I'm finishing the notes. As the song starts, it has, like, that, you know, faux retro feeling of, you know, um, there's some sample that they use, which I didn't look up or anything like that, but it has that feeling of, you know, Zach knows I love, like, Saint Motel and that faux retro sound and a pretty good beat, and I'm like, okay, what is this? I kind of like this. And then Pitbull comes in, and, you know, it's basically, like, I think Pitbull is, like, you know, two steps, two very small steps away from DJ Khaled where all he can really do is scream his own name, and I was like, oh, no. <laughs> like, instant deflation. <laughs> I can still remember when, like, this film was in production, I was like, oh, man, like, maybe, because, again, I love, again, like, I, I like Men in Black theme song. Yeah. I love the theme for the second film. Like, I always like that one. And I'm like, oh, man, like, this is like, okay, like, maybe we'll get something good out of this. And I wasn't doing one. There was a bunch of, like, articles at the time regarding it. And then, like, oh, like, Pitbull. Like, it was announced, like, Pitbull's doing the theme song. And I'm like, who cares? Like, no. Like, don't even have a theme song then. Like, it's just, again, like, Rob, if Rob hasn't already, he'll insert some of the Pitbull Men Black 3 song. Back, back, in, in, time. Black mask, huh? black gloves with a little bit of rope to tie. I flipped it. Black suits, yeah. white shirts, right. black glasses with a matching tag. Like Agent J or Agent K, and I wish the whole world would. Okay, I'm trying to make a billion out of 15 cents. Understand, understood, I'm a hope. Yeah, move a shaker, culture. Bury a board, a record breaker, won't you? Give credit where credit is due, don't you? Know that I don't give a number two. But it's just like, it's just nothing. It's just Pitbull talking over a melody. Like, yes. it's not even rapping. It's just, like, it's, like, glorified spoken word. Absolutely. And that, I think, I mean, I'm not a Pitbull fan by in any way, shape, or form. Pitbull, um, like, like, oh, God, what would you even call it? Like, Pitbull is what, the RC Cola of sodas? <laughs> or, or of, like, rap? Like, in that sense? Like, it is just, like, the most watered down. Like, like there's nothing to it. Like, I'm so glad that, like, he must be on the side of a highway somewhere with a sign that says, I was famous once, right? Yeah, I think so. Like, he hasn't done anything, right? Like, I'm not doubting that he makes, he doesn't make music, but, like, he hasn't done anything noteworthy in, what, the last five years? Definitely. He popped up, you know, very quickly and disappeared very quickly, I think. Oh, you know, okay, the last thing I remember him doing, it's another movie tie-in song. Oh, oh my okay. god, I completely okay. forgot about this. Rob will have to insert a clip of it after I have described it. For <laughs> Aquaman, he did a tie-in theme song, and it's a weird cover of Toto's he Africa. He was the one who did the Toto, uh, the <laughs> Africa cover? Oh my god, I, not, I remember not, that. Not Weezer. Right? Was it Weezer or Fallout Boy did the cover Weezer, of Africa? Yeah, we- Weezer has on their cover album. Weezer has a, a cover of that one. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, Rob has to find this and put I this in. About that. <laughs> like and like and, and you have to have it begin at the beginning of the song where it's him like like weirdly narrating the song. <laughs> 
I totally forgot about that that cover, and um, and that's not. I don't even think that's egregious because I don't. I don't really love that song. I know it's like a meme song. The internet goes crack for it. But I mean, <laughs> even just like giving that to Pitbull is such a strange decision. It's weird. It's a weird song because like it was a tie-in song for Aquaman, and how it's used in that movie is even more inexplicable. They tried to get rid of me, but from ocean to ocean, they gonna have to deal with me. I've been overlooked, slept on, stepped on, left for dead, always against all eyes like Pac said. I'm the living great Gatsby, but these boys are watching quick and disappear like Banksy. From ocean to ocean, sea to sea, I'm something that you gotta see. Gonna take a lot to drive me away from you. Is, it, is that the scene when they go to the desert? When they're yes, for the, okay, yes, yeah, I, yes. I and it's him and Amber Heard just like wandering around the desert, and yeah. it's like, it's gonna take a lot to take me away from you. <laughs> Like, what is happening? Is Pitbull, like, do you know, is Pitbull a flat earther? A real dog, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> is he a, sure is he a dog crazy, or is he a flat You said or I said. <laughs> I feel like there's some, there's some like rapper slash pop, 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 or hip hop artist that's a flat earther. I gotta, I gotta look this up because I, I, I don't remember if it's Pitbull or not. Oh no! Let's go. Oh no! It's it's Bob. It's B O B. Bob is a flat earther. He's yeah. He's a flat earther. Not Pitbull. Okay. Okay. Well, he might be. It just might not be on the internet. (laughs) He's closeted about his flat eartherness. (laughs) Hey, hey! You can believe if anything you want. I think the Earth being flat falls into my dinosaur thing. It doesn't matter. I don't care what you think if the Earth is flat or not. It's irrelevant. You know? Can I really quick just like I was explaining to Rachel your opinion on dinosaurs and how like over the course of like three going on four years, it went from why like like. Very academically asking, why is there a need to study dinosaurs, these creatures that lived millions, <laughs> if not billions of years ago? Like, what is the scientific need to learn more about these creatures to four years later? This never existed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, once people started getting angry at me when I would joke that dinosaurs don't exist, I, I got – I just doubled down. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, folks, I cannot wait for Jurassic World oh, yes. 3, oh, Secrets of Dumbledore. Oh, yeah, there was a oh. poster for it, which was just the fucking Jurassic Park logo at the theater when I saw the Batman. Um, uh, so, yeah, what is that, June? Oh, God. Yeah, like, it's coming, do, Rob. Like, like you what, were saying, months? Like, when we were talking about Euphoria, where we were like, what the hell can we do to push Euphoria back? How do we push that movie back? <laughs> That's not a rip-the-band-aid-off situation. I don't want that. I don't want Jurassic Park, <laughs> Jurassic World 3, Jurassic Park 6, Boogaloo to come out ever. Um, this is a bummer. Apparently, Thomas Dolby's a flat earther. Thomas Dolby's the guy who sings, uh, she blinded me with science. Oh, really? Yeah, that's fucked up that he's a flat earther. Not that it matters. It's <laughs> yeah. ironic. Tila Tequila's a flat earther. <laughs> <laughs> Can we add that to the Tatler profile? Can we? Oh. <laughs> Okay, yeah. Yeah, we're real close to the four-year extravaganza. We gotta, we gotta do, <laughs> we gotta figure out some flat earthers. This can't be right. Shaq is not a flat earther. <laughs> Shaq does not know what the Earth is. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Okay. Is there anything else about these about these Men in Black movies or? Uh... Oh yes, thank you for reminding me. Um, I I was not actually trying to set up our questions just yet. Uh, with these two movies done, I figured this would be the time to the better time to bring this up uh, instead of Men in Black Two, where we would have a plethora of goofiness to talk about. Um, this seems to be more of like the the franchise episode. Did you ever watch the animated series? That's what I wanted to ask you about. I. 
I didn't. I maybe in passing once or twice, but I literally have no memory okay. of it. Like I know it was a thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, but no. I, I did not. That's the same thing with me. I only I barely remember it. I think I've only seen an episode. It was here on or there. Kids W. It was yeah. on Kids WB during like the Yu Gi Oh. Yeah, era. I think that's probably why I caught some of it when I was trying to watch Yu Gi Oh back in the day. Um, but yeah, I was just I wanted to know if you'd ever seen any of it because I did do a little research into it for this, um, and I want to see if I can find it somewhere. Maybe like watch an episode or two. Uh, but one of the things I wanted to mention about it was apparently, you know, they it doesn't seem to have like an overarching story or anything like that. It seems like you know maybe there's like an arc in a few episodes, but it seemed to just be like you know oh here's the alien of the week or something like that. But it turns out that whenever a um, a member of the bug species is on that show, it is voiced by Vincent D'Onofrio. Oh, yeah, so so I that's kind of what made me want to dive into it more because if we get some more great, you know, uh, D'Onofrio bug dialogue, I would love to hear it. <laughs> if I remember correctly, that show was like the X-Files, but for kids. Yes, I, I think that's what I read, some uh, synopses of it. And um, like, like I said, Alien of the Week versus Monster of the Week with X-Files for sure. Uh, absolutely. And, um, and, and yeah, X-Files is a good a good um, connection to this, even though they were FBI and not men in black, but, but sure, sure. Um, did I, they ever, did, 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 oh God, did they ever encounter the men in black in X-Files? Oh, uh, I don't think like explicitly. I'm sure that there's some episodes where like Mulder talks about how like the men in black might be related to like the members of the syndicate, like the humans that are working with the aliens for the aliens to take over the earth. But I don't think it's ever like explicit. Like, I don't think there's an episode devoted to him or anything like okay. that. Yeah. Cause okay, there's, no, there's no, like, um, there, I mean, the X-Files might've, no, the X-Files would have been after it. There's no, like, um, there's a mention of it, but no episode dedicated to like the Polybius machine, like the, the arcade machine that made people go crazy. And I know that's tied to like the men in black lore and stuff like that. But no, I think they, they, the X-Files lore forgoes the men in black and places just like oh it's this division of the fbi okay hey kids rob here during the editing process very mad at himself that when zach brought up the x-files and the concept of the men in black i did not remember that in the wonderful episode of the x-files jose chung's from outer space we do get someone telling a story where they encountered the men in black and in that episode the two people playing these so-called men in black are none other than jesse ventura and alex trebek I really wish I would have remembered this in the moment because I'm sure Zach would have got a kick out of it. So hopefully when he listens back to this episode, he'll have some fun with it. Um, okay. I did, back in the day, play the Game Boy Advance Men in Black game, which was related to the um, the, uh, the the animated show. Um, I remember that very vividly where you could uh, pick up different weapons and you could pick up the noisy cricket and when you'd shoot it. It was a side-scroller, like a side-scroller platformer type of thing. And when you'd shoot it, you would, like, get pushed back, like Will Smith, you know, falls back in the movie and stuff like that. I remember that for some reason. I don't think I have that game anymore. It probably got lost in the shuffle somewhere. But, yeah, I think it was because I played that and got it because I liked the movie so much, you know? But I, I, I was thinking of that with how much I loved the movie when I was a kid. I didn't really watch the animated show a lot, which I was surprised to, to think back on. Probably was also a weird hour, probably, if I had to guess. Probably, like, three, probably three or four o'clock. Probably, like, a weird hour to probably have to, like... Again, even as a kid, like, anybody can tell you, like, there are certain times where some of these shows would air, like, it made it almost impossible to watch unless you set the VCR for it. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely, yep. But, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I think, you know... I, I think this franchise is probably dead. I think that's the last thing I want to say in, in terms of the franchise. Well, Rob, if we're going to go a little bit outside, yes. like, like, ancillary media, 
There's the theme park ride at Universal Studios oh, Orlando. Sure. Okay. I, I it's got a little baby it, yeah. like like New York World's Fair, like like the uh, flying saucers. Okay, that's cool. I went on that ride once because it always, always had a long line, mm-hmm. and it is severely underwhelming. Okay. Right and on. it's one of the rare instances at Universal Studios Orlando that – Oh God! I think twenty five years. Oh God, twenty years later, um, twenty probably twenty twenty five years later, it is still there. Like it is. Wow, okay. They've demolished Jaws. They've gotten rid of Terminator. All these like kind of rides that you would like are so like you would think. Oh God, more culturally noteworthy because the films are based on. Nope, Men in Black still there. Still there and still popular, oddly okay, enough, right considering on. there hasn't really been a successful film in the franchise for a decade. Is it just a ride, or is it one of those you got to shoot the things? Shoot. Justice shoot. League, Rob. Okay. It's Justice yeah. League, both aliens. Yeah, absolutely. Which okay. kind of runs antithetical to the point the first film is trying to make. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Can you shoot little Susie or Sally or whatever it is? The problem is the, the only time I went on that ride was like sometime in 2003 maybe. Okay. Once. And I have literally no memory of it other than I did really bad on it and like I just did not like it. Mm, gotcha. Gotcha. I think okay. it had very little to do with Men in Black. Like I think it was like the idea of like, oh, like I don't even think Tommy Lee Jones or, or Will Smith are even featured. Oh, I, okay. I think it's very, very generic. Like it's just the logo. Like it's in, in the creature designs. That's it. Like it's the logo and the creature designs. And I remember, like, in the gift shop, they had, like, a toy neuralizer that I wanted to buy. Oh, okay. Oh, I think I – I the memories are flooding back. I think some <laughs> girl in my elementary school, I like, came in with a toy neuralizer one day. That – for some reason, I remember that. Yeah, this is this is no- baked in nostalgia for me in this episode. <laughs> that wasn't abundantly clear. Um, but, yeah, I think that's everything I want to say about the franchise. I mean, like we've been saying, tune in in a, in a few months, you know, when uh, we hit our 2002 Fort Month. Um, you know, I don't think we're spoiling anything there. I think people had to know that that – our cinema audience had to know that that was coming. Um, and, uh, yeah, we're going to cover Men in Black 2. I will get to talk a lot about Donna Hayward from Twin Peaks, Lara Flynn Boyle herself. Uh, I look forward to it. and uh, But now, at this point, we've finished three Barry Sonnenfeld movies. Tune in next week for our Nine Lives Rob, episode. Rob, <laughs> Rob, how many, Rob, how many uh, Stanley Kubrick movies have we covered? Oh, just one, right, still? How, how many How many David Lynch films have we covered? Three, one you were not there for. <laughs> I, I, but still, it's the idea. Okay, Rob, what other filmmakers? Uh, how many Steven Spielberg? How many Martin Scorsese? How many Verhoeven, Francis Ford? Verhoeven's we've done a good bit of, uh, a few of, a handful, I should say. Uh, kind of bonkers the weird things that, like we've covered on yeah, this podcast. Yeah, I mean, but Zach, we gotta get to Nine Lives. <laughs> <laughs> we gotta get to Get Shorty, which isn't that bad of a movie, but I mean, it, it doesn't really fit the format of this podcast at all. <laughs> no. What does fit, oh. though, with Barry Sonnenfeld, something I've been telling Zach for a while, I think the two Adams Family movies are very odd and very enjoyable, and I think we should cover those one day. And I've never seen Nine Lives, but Nine Lives seems like something we would have a field day with. <laughs> I don't know. Like, Kevin Spacey is so icky now. Like, I don't yeah. think I could enjoy that. Like, he's responsible for somebody's death, allegedly. Sure, sure. Uh, but, I mean, wouldn't you want the chance to uh, let him be frank? <laughs> I say, I say, I say. <laughs> Absolutely. Fun fact, folks, that is, uh, it's Kevin Spacey in that one-minute YouTube video is what Daniel Craig based his entire performance on from Knives Out. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I say, I say, I say. 
Oh, God, absolutely. Oh, my God, we're talking about Nine Lives. I mean, we have to cover Nine Lives in the addition that throughout that whole episode, I will talk about how Kevin Spacey plays a pet cat. (laughs) 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 Okay, well, with all all those tangents and stuff out of the way, are you ready for questions, Zach? Oh, I was born ready. Okay. So, I think this this one is uh, is going to be one of those one of those where I I have some discussion for these. But I think you know, Cinemodities, I'm so Men in Black and Men in Black Three. I think separating them, this is the answer to both. I think both of them are not Cinemodities. I think that you know, with a whole, this whole discussion about how I agree with the issues you have with both of them, specifically the first one, you've convinced me of some certain or maybe made me realize what I've always uh, always thought, but just kind of, you know, subjectively went along with the popcorn nature of that movie. I don't think they're cinemodities. I, I don't want to cite a precedent that they were successful so they can't be cinemodities. I just fundamentally don't think there's anything odd about them. Now, this is where I'm a little torn. My late-night movies, I, I did watch these pretty close together, like I said, in the trilogy, and I had a grand old time. And I know that if I sat down with some of my friends or some people that really like Men in Black and watched these, this trilogy, we would have a grand old time. It would be good fun, I think. In that sense, it's a late night movie for me because I would use it. You know, if I had the chance to put it on for some people, I would use it. But, of course, I think of what we said. This would be, I think, hard-pressed, at least with the people I'm hanging out with, hard-pressed to find this as an original viewing. You had it with Rachel, like you said, but I think we've established that Rachel has seen, before she met you, maybe two movies in her life or something like that. So yes. I don't know if that counts. But I, I'm, I'm on the fence because, yes, I'm with you still, fundamentally. Late-night movies should not be re- a rewatch for all parties involved. I think it'd be tough to find anybody who has not seen the first one maybe a little easier to find somebody who hasn't seen the second or third or something like that but i think i'm going to go no for late night for both of them as well because of that that idea and it's not good enough for me where i know i broke that rule when we did the matrix where i said any of the matrix movies are late night movies and i'm going to put them on because i want to watch them i don't care what anybody else does this does not reach that level for me that there are still things that we've discussed and you know we will discuss in the future that are late night movies that are well worth putting on um you know even if they are a rewatch i think but this does not fit fit it for me so i'm going no to all four questions cinemized late night across the board what do you think zach i'm going to say yes to cinemati for the first film no to men in black three for a cinemati and no to late night movie across the board okay um, the first movie is a cinemati for the Blade Runner precedent, as in mm. this is a movie nobody should like. It is an objectively bad movie with some clever elements, more on creature design, Rick Baker. Um, but I think I, I would say 95% of people who like this film that are above the age of reason, so five, six, <laughs> sure. only like it because of nostalgia. There's no practical reason to like this film. Sure. I hear you. I hear you. Okay. No, that, that's interesting. That's interesting. And I, ooh, I don't have it pulled up or anything but um the first one was very successful financially and critically right yeah oh no that first film no that film had uh, yeah well liked well oh god made money couldn't ask for a better film in that sense and so you're kind of using you're kind of taking the breaking of the total recall precedent because there's no reason to like this movie it was successful so it's the total movie. okay okay it's the total point, recall it, precedent also seems archaic to us now right <laughs> well yeah like I, again that was implemented what four years ago yes, like, yeah, like that exactly. was and i do think that um, i still subscribe to the notion that something makes like again it's weird like we've reached a point in the culture where like avengers endgame was kind of thing that i think eventually broke that because it's the idea like something now being that 
universally acclaimed mm, mm-hmm. and makes so much money is so rare. Like it, it's peculiar. Like it's almost become like 2019 kind of broke a lot of the rules, like preconceived notions I had about cinema. Absolutely. Where it's kind of strange to think that like the 25,000th film in the saga of the Avengers and Marvel somehow like became the highest grossing. Well, not anymore. Avatar is again the highest grossing film of all time. But like it was weird to think about like like the 27th film was like the one that like made all this money. Like yeah. it had all this baggage. <laughs> and then like two months later, you have like the Lion King king like remake that like nobody likes it's nobody's favorite film really there's nothing positive said about it yet like it makes 1.6 billion dollars and it's like how how is a movie that's universally disliked become like the second highest grossing movie of the year like how is that possible it's it's again it's a weird antithesis of the total recall press <laughs> sure it's sure. the inverse of it um but no i i'm gonna say yes to cinemati for men in black okay. uno just because i i think it's one of those movies that if you actually had someone look at it in academic objective sense there's no reason to explain why this caught on other than just will smith stardom that's fair that's fair no i, I understand what you're saying i understand what you're saying uh as a quick rebuttal uh a pet cat. Okay, are you ready for snacks, Zach? Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, so I said it earlier. I'll say it right here because I already set it up, and uh, I want to keep going with it. Sugar in water. It's <laughs> just sugar water. We got to do it. It's so easy. It'd probably be fucking disgusting. Like, And even when D'Onofrio drinks the sugar water in the shot, you know, you can see all that like clumpy wet sugar that's left in the glass and stuff like that, and he guzzles it down. Oh, my God, it's great. But, I mean, that's I think it's fine. We should just take it as it is, just sugar in water as a, or sugar or water with Dude, sugar. Okay. Oh, here's my question, though. Sure. This is my thing that I have to ask you. As you know, Rob, when they make, like, soda, because, like, think about it, like, oh, God, like, what, eight ounces of soda has, like, what, like, something like Mountain Dew has, like, 63 grams of sugar sure, in it? yeah. Which is something you, like, if you were to put 63 grams of sugar in, like, eight ounces of water, like, it, would, it wouldn't be able to dissolve. You, like, as you, Rob knows, but the audience might not. Like, you have to heat, like, liquids to a certain temperature for them to absorb the most amount of sugar possible. Yep. Should we do something like that? Ooh, Ooh, oh, I I like that. Let's take it a step further, and um, I don't... God, this is from, like, high school chemistry. I don't know the ins and outs of it, because I'm not a chemistry person. But um, there is such a thing as super-saturating a liquid, and I know it involves heating it up. Are you saying we we go that far? or you Do you want to go that far, where we super-saturate water with sugar? So much. Uh, so much saturation. <laughs> I like that. I like that. A super-saturated beverage. <laughs> Okay, I can get behind that. I think that's good, and I think that's a good um, uh, connection to the the first movie and what I want, so that's perfect. Uh, also on that same line, I would love to serve, we should just call it Beatrice's Lemonade, which is just like, you know, lemonade made without any sugar. So it just tastes like lemon and water, which, I mean, you know, lemon juice and water or whatever it would be, which I would love, but it seems like a lot of people wouldn't. <laughs> Um, in terms of other food, uh, just I'm going off the first movie right now. Um, the baby squid that Jay helps deliver in that movie, that just that that thing's got to be delicious, right? <laughs> oh, oh, just I, I just raw, or are we making some calamari? I'm thinking some calamari. Like you know, we could take tentacles, maybe you know, fry them up in the rings and that type of stuff. Maybe get more of a um, like a. Uh, I've, I've only had it once. It kind of blew me away. I think I've told you this before, Zach. But when I went to Hawaii and I went, I just stopped in a restaurant for lunch when I had some time. They had fried calamari, and I was like, "Oh boy, I love fried calamari!" And I'm expecting the you know New York style you know fried rings, which is you know, with some marinara or some tartar sauce or whatever. Um, I guess the Italian fried calamari, you know. 
they gave me like straight up like hunks of squid deep fried and it was fucking awesome so i say we do a little bit of both you know maybe like a squid steak i'm sure you can cook that up um I know you can cook that up, you know, that type of thing. But, yeah, just that, whatever his Reggie species is and whatever that squid baby is, just let's eat it up. I am totally about, you know, I think it's, I think we said it before, that in, in the real world, if aliens ever, like, landed on planet Earth, there'd be a group of people who were like, okay, what do they taste like? <laughs> there'd be the group of people who were like, what do they taste like? There'd be the group of people who would be like, you know, how do we fuck them? There'd be a group of people who would be like, you know, oh, they have rights now because they're here. It's, it's, I'm, I'm a part of the eat group, so, you know, let's just do it in the restaurant. And I guess that ties into the third movie. I want to just, like, let's get rid of that thing that Kay says to Wu, you know, where he says, what, like, uh, Earth people get Earth food? Fuck that. Let's go. Earth people get some alien food. Alien people get Earth food. Whatever. Let's just go balls to the wall. There's no restriction here. (laughs) Exactly. Okay, I'm going to take it one step further. Um, Every time we go through, like, um, MIB Customs, like, that should just be a buffet, man. Like, that's, like, us going to Restaurant Depot. Ooh, like, that's okay. just, like, oh, man, like, we just wait outside, like, like wherever that, like, I don't know, the terminal is. Sure. Like, that's something I never been able to figure out about Men in Black. Like, we see, like, the concourse with everybody's, like, checking into customs. Like, how do you, like, is there an airport? I have like, no, I was asking the same questions because it's really more pronounced in the second one because you can see a Sprint store and a Burger King in the background. Oh, yeah. um, but I, and even in the first one, it weirded me out because it is like customs. Like you see like Carol Stryken bringing in like any fruits or vegetables, you know, that whole little bit happens when Will Smith uh, first enters. But then the customs area is right next to a bunch of like like worker desks like clerical aid desks and then the big command center screen like it's all one room and i'm like i don't understand this at all <laughs> yeah like the bureaucracy is like non-existent like yeah. it's literally just a room full of people yeah exactly exactly um but okay so you're saying like the uh the uh, the whatever it be the, the the i think we should just wait basically like we kind of like just like we're predators like we wait outside like the uh oh god like where the taxis like line up outside an airport and okay. we're just like free rides Perfect. I'm all about we have, that. We have like an unmarked van that literally has like spray painted on the side, like not even like with a stencil. It just says free rides. <laughs> I like that. Perfect. Perfect. Okay. Um, and well, there's yeah, – okay, are you still it. doing your snacks? Oh, or? I, yeah, I got a few more. Um, okay. So uh, <laughs> maybe maybe for the restaurant, you know, um, I, I'm sure – you know, that somewhere in there we have some variation of coffee. I think coffee has to be involved somewhere. Maybe it's not just coffee. It's used something like that. I think that, you know, as the um, the the coffee mongers, coffee connoisseurs, I didn't look up or know what the word is if you, like, are an expert in coffee. I'm sure there's some, some actual term for it. But maybe in our restaurant for, like, all the coffee. You know, like, you have those people who are like, oh, we got to test the beans. Maybe, like, a coffee sommelier or something like that. You know, like, they got to test the beans. They got to pick the best batch. You know, they're really, like, curating the coffee for the restaurant. We should have the worm guys because they make coffee in the uh, first movie. Mm-hmm. And so I think that we should hire the worm guys for the restaurant. They should be our coffee sommeliers. What do you think? Okay. And, uh, of course, I know, once again, Zach, excuse me, it's from the second movie, but I think it applies to all three. Once you go worm, that's what you'll yearn. I also want to have, because it gave me some Wild Wild West vibes, of course, I got to go back to the cake in the third movie, Zach. Um, The jiggling cake, of course, has Boris the Animal's, like, hand face hugger inside of it, and that's what helps him break out. 
gave me big Wild Wild West vibes. Remember the tarantula cake from oh, Wild God, Wild West? yeah. So we should have not only now the tarantula cake, you know, because I think it's in the shape of the White House or some shit like that, and tarantulas are inside it. We should have one of these, like, birthday-type cakes with a face hugger inside of it. Cool. <laughs> I like that. How yeah. do we bake the cake without killing the face hugger? So I, I would imagine that we would do it – I think I, I – tried to explain it in the wild wild west episode where we like bake the bottom and top halves of the cake with like wells in them and then we we put the tarantulas or the um face hugger in the middle and then like put the top on so we like we don't we bake two halves and then it becomes like a little box for the thing all right how do we prevent the face hugger from attacking as we're doing this mm, i guess we would need like some type of face hugger wrangler does that mean we have to hire like a boglodite <laughs> to handle this you know <laughs> Uh, and then I think the last one I have is a great phrase from the third movie. Emma Thompson says to uh, Will Smith, have you been craving chocolatized dairy products? I like the turn of phrase chocolatized dairy products. So I thought we should include a slew of chocolatized dairy products on the restaurant menu as sides, as maybe, you know, desserts or as, you know, part of the uh, if somebody orders something that would include one of these, we would give them a chocolate version. Now, of course, this exists. Chocolate milk, chocolate ice cream. I know there's chocolate fucking whipped cream. You could do chocolate dairy products. It's anything new. I'm talking about let's take the dairy products that shouldn't be chocolatized. I'm talking cottage Cottage cheese. cheese. Perfect. Look at that. I'm talking cream cheese. That actually probably exists because I've seen like strawberry cream cheese. So, okay, maybe not that one. I'm talking like American cheese. I'm talking sour cream. I'm talking butter. (laughs) Chocolate butter wouldn't be that bad. I kind of don't know. I'm not a big chocolate fan, but I would try it for sure. Um, But I was thinking, you know, could you imagine you're at a restaurant and you're like, oh, you know, can we get some butter? And you get put down like this stick of butter or a pad of butter that's like brown. It's covered in brown Customer, stuff. Customer would be like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> like, I, like, I don't even, I'm like, they're like, I know butter can go bad, but does it discolor? <laughs> but those are the ones I brainstorm. Um, you know, like you said, cottage cheese. I think the cottage cheese would be a really good one. But any type of cheese, like put some chocolate in it. How are we going to make it? I think that would be a great addition to the restaurant that we just have like chocolate dairy products that shouldn't be chocolatized. I also like that that version of the, or I don't think that's the right word, but conjugation of chocolate, chocolatized. <laughs> but then that was it. That was it for me. Did you have anything else for the restaurant? I do. Okay. And I'm surprised you didn't mention it. Ooh, ooh. A neuralizer. Oh, I, oh, shit. I think I had that thought while watching one of the movies. I didn't write it down. But yes. So how would you want to use it in the restaurant? Two, two words. Okay. Mariska Hargitay. <laughs> no liability, baby. <laughs> I was about to say, what is this, the love guru? Mariska Hargitay. Mariska Hargitay, yes, absolutely. How many uh, people do you think actually got that joke in 2008? Oh, nobody. Nobody. <laughs> even, when she show, even when she shows up in the movie. Doesn't even Mike Myers or the love guru, doesn't he have like a like a staples that was easy button when he hits it, it does the dum-dum, you know? <laughs> <laughs> At some point, we'll get to the love yes. What's I have a question. What movie did we agree to? I know what when we did Mortal Engines, we were like, oh, we'll have to do this movie next for the 200th anniversary that we didn't do. Then for the 200th anniversary, we said like, oh, we're going to do this for the 300th Ooh, anniversary. I don't remember. Which that. I know we most likely won't do either. I have to, I have to hope I wrote it in the spreadsheet. 
<laughs> I don't know what he, All right, let's I don't go know back. tab it would be. Whatever <laughs> it is, I think we should have to get to the love guru at some point. Definitely, definitely. That's a ju- that's a doozy of a movie, and just to talk about Mariska Hargitay. Absolutely. But, okay, I like that. I like having the neuralizer. I like using it, um, you know, in, in the no liability sense. I also think it could be good uh, if... Um, Maybe something happens to an employee that makes them want to quit. <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, there's a lot of uses for that. Maybe if, you know, somebody is getting too close to the exit of the restaurant, we, ner- mm-hmm. we neuralize them and drop them in the back or something like that. Exactly, exactly. But, um, yeah, the neuralizer's a, neuralizer's a cool little um, cool little tech, and uh, I think that's one of the lasting legacies of this movie. Even though I think people don't remember what it's called, there was like, you know, the memory thing from Men in Black, you know? And it's like, oh, the Neuralizer. And they're like, what's that? It's the thing you're talking about. <laughs> but okay. Yeah, I no, think I think that's a pretty big one. It's, it's kind of up there with the word processor of the gods. Absolutely. Like it's, uh... Yes. It's, uh, it's for, like, very emergency uses and to make sure the restaurant survives and keeps going and things like that. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think, you know, I'm good with, because uh, I didn't want to include it, and it seems like you're not including it. I don't really want to involve any time jumps or anything like that in the restaurant. I know we did in Clock Stoppers, we had the hypo time watch, so we're slowing time down for somebody, or for, you know, whatever the fuck it was. Um, I'm, I'm okay with not toying with time travel just yet in the restaurant. That's one of those things that I think is a little dangerous. There was something else we talked about that I thought was dangerous. I don't remember what it is, but you know it's a big deal when I think something's dangerous. I, the rest. It, it is. <laughs> Anything else? No, I think that's it. Okay, well then, um, that brings us to the conclusion where we have to say, well, what are we going? How are we going to end this episode? I think I'm with you, Zach. We should use um, the um, the one that gets sampled. What I can't for some reason forget me not. Forget me not. Thank you. Nots. Thank you. Yes, we'll play that in reverse. My thought was the Men in Black theme song, but I think it's it's probably good enough that six if we, to one have dozen. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like if we play either one in reverse, you know, you'll have the people having the same experience you did with the um the Rush Limbaugh thing, where you're like, which one are they playing, or what is this, you know, that type of thing. But definitely, there's a really no... good chance, depending on what like specific part you play, people won't even know. Exactly. That's what I'm thinking. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> okay. Right on. Well, um, since this is the time travel series. And uh, we live in a turnstile world at the Cinematis restaurant. Um, we are also either at point A or point B of the box's para- parabolic travel through time. The cinema audience might or might not understand that reference. I don't really know what's coming next week. Depending on when these things get recorded, it could be another time travel movie or it could be the four-year extravaganza. <laughs> I have no clue at this point, but that's part of the fun in the cinema restaurant uh, that we that we live in, which is totally real. So I guess with that being said, uh, if everybody, you know, come support our trip through time. Through the Cinemodities Patreon, if you want to hear even more episodes of Cinemodities about movies, TV shows, just random ramblings that we throw together and call an episode uh, because we don't have anything for that release date, it's all good fun. Uh, cinema- uh, geez, I always say Cinemodities.com. We don't have a domain yet. Uh, Patreon.com slash Cinemodities. And of course, if you want to harass us, or I should say in this episode, if you're a diehard fan for Men in Black and want to harass Zach, I will definitely pass the email along to him. Uh, you can email us at Cinemodities at gmail.com. And as always, be sure to check out the Cinemodities subreddit, reddit.com slash r slash Cinemodities for more information about the show. Zach, any final words on Men in Black or, or, or until we uh, cover uh, 2, uh, Men in Black 2? Oh, speaking of which, Men in Black 2 has the Roman numerals and Men in Black 3 has the number. That bothers the shit out of me. <laughs> Isn't Men in Black 3 called technically like Men in Black 3 like back in time? 
Maybe I don't know. I didn't. I feel like I just might have made that up. Um, let's let's see, because I, I got it pulled up. So according to Wikipedia, it is Men in Black Three stylized as Men in Black Cubed. Whoa! <laughs> it's like Alien. Cube. I know. I didn't realize that it's, even on the poster with um, Brolin, uh, Tommy Lee Jones, and Will Smith, it's MIB Cubed. But there's no parentheses parentheses around the MIB, so it might be MIB Cubed. Whoa. That's the so order it's of M-I-B-B-B? M-I-B-B-B. So M- it's Men in Black, Black, Black? No, I was going to say Men in Better Business Bureau. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Okay, good. I'm glad you I'm glad you pulled that up so I could make that joke because I love the cube thing. Like, uh, like alien, 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 alien times alien times alien. But, yes, everybody tune in later on when we get to uh, talk about Lara Flynn Boyle and Johnny Knoxville. Oh, boy. Yep. Aren't you excited? <laughs> There's going to be a good bit of aliens in the 2002 Fort Month. Or maybe not a good bit, but some. <laughs> Wait, Fair no, enough. I'm thinking of three. There's three. The animated one I was forgetting has an yeah, alien technically, in it. Yeah. Ah. And technically, if we're going to be talking about Christopher Walken and the Country Bears, that's four. Oh, my God. Everybody tune in. It's going to be the year of the aliens. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, <laughs> oh,